They always like to short out when it's a little bit warmer out. Oh, okay. Um, hey, this is a Creative Writing, the motorcycle podcast brought to you by our wonderful and friendly If you get on, lucky, we'll talk about motorcycles during it, too. If you're lucky. Uh, brought to you by our wonderful and friendly friends on Patreon, uh, Chris Wiggins. Welcome back to this episode. Do you know what uh, episode this is? Oh, sh- 159. I think you're off by one. Uh, 158 still? Nope, I think is it up to one sixty? I believe. Am I going the wrong way? I believe we are at episode one sixty. You know it's bad when you Could have be. to check your own. <laughs> your it's. I mean, I don't think this is a bad thing, but I feel like we're getting to that point where it's like that's a pretty decent amount of shows. Yeah, episode one fifty nine was Midwest hot sauce. Oh, this is okay. episode one sixty of Creative Writing. Uh, sit back and enjoy. The you know what's rad? Intro music. Welcome to the Creative Writing Motorcycle Podcast. Introducing your hosts. This is my dad, Junkie Turd Because <laughs> Chris, what else they need to know? All right, well, this your bad mofo from uh, Indiana. For sure. I could ask my grandpa. He wouldn't remember. You get to you get to do it. That's... I'm going to forget to talk like a pirate. And you're going to say that I lose. <laughs> I'm, I remember the 100th episode for the show, but you know what's coming up in a little over 20 episodes. The 100th episode for me. Oh, boom. Well, I don't know, because see, I miss some in the middle, though, too, like when I'm gone. So you would have to go back and be like, well, he wasn't there that week, so and then... Well... Or would you just do you know, from the one I started? Yeah, I would just do from the one you started. Okay. So, yeah. Because it was like 80-something, right? 84, I believe it was. I, had, I think I that can't one was called Rohost. I can't believe the 100th episode was only about 15 episodes in to my... That's nuts. Talking to Liza. Yeah. We talked to Liza. I think we did, like, right before that was Twisted Throttles. And, like, we had done a bunch of stuff, like, right around the 100th. And then yeah. I could have been really rad and gone back and, like, edited a bunch of stuff from the last 100. But you know how long that really takes? Yeah. <laughs> I've got so lazy. <laughs> But tonight we're on a tight schedule, and uh, I actually made show notes and an outline, so we're going to see if we can stick to it. And I'm going to put some minutes on the clock here, because I said that's what I would do. It's Chris Wiggins. I'm going to ask you, what did you? What was happening this week? And I'm going to take the first two minutes and tell you. For me, not a whole hell of a lot. The most motorcycle thing uh, I, I saw this week was on the way to my refing duties uh, for soccer this weekend, a dude on his like a ZX 10 or something blew a water hose. It was white smoke. I thought he blew a motor, but it was white smoke. You know, oil kind of looks white when it happens really quick on the freeway. So either he blew something or uh, blew a water line immediately. Like engine sound stopped. He didn't seize up though. So he just rolled over to the side. He just cut it off. So that sucks. Cause he was doing about 80. He was just getting on it too. He was like cruising. And then just as he was about to pass by me, he, he downshifted and got on it and it was just all. Oh. And I was like, Oh shoot. So, uh, so yeah, that is the, probably the most motorcycle thing that's been happening to me other than I got Spamela up on blocks ready to tear down and the VFR, um, She's only at 2,400, 2,420 miles, and so it's not quite at the 3,000-mile thing, but I've had it since July. I think it's time to change the oil, and I want to do the chain maintenance on it. Um, Well, I've lubed the hell out of it. I need to tighten it up a little bit. And then the backlight was bugging me because it was all wiggly. So I think I want to go ahead and uh, try and do a 
quick patch on that for Bry Rivers. It's old damage. I looked in there and the plastic is dirty as all get out. So, uh, and then I was like, did I do that? Like, has it broke since I, uh, have it? And I looked inside though and there's old, it's old. So mm. it must've happened when he fell over or it happened before that. And sometimes those things just break too. Cause they shake, yeah. they shake so oh, hard at the yeah. end of the subframe. It's, and it's from 94 and I looked up that part and it's obsolete. I mean, parts of it that are still good are splitting. So, I mean, it's only yeah. a matter of time before that thing's the done. The plastic dries out. And yeah. Cracks. So, uh, so yeah, that's about the most motorcycly thing I did. That's my two minutes. What about you, man? Uh, not a lot. I'm still drooling over an RC51 I want to buy. So I'm, I'm supposed to be getting another <laughs> check from Icon, and then I think I got enough where I can talk the guy into it. And then um, Trusty Rusty went in to work this week, and we're going to throw a new exhaust system on it. Um, I'm not going to run my full super drop peg that I was running, at least for now anyway. I'm just going to run one that's dropped. It's back like six inches from stock and down about an inch and a half from stock. Um, and for then, a flat out Friday? In uh, the one show, the yeah, one show. yeah. Okay. Well, and if I like it, I'll keep it. Like Those are two of the most important races of the year. But you know, if I like it, I'll keep that, that setup. And then what it is, it's a, a new system we're working on that's stainless. It's real similar to what I had, but it's stainless. We've released one for the bagger, but I don't think the sporty one's released. Um, and, you know, I mean, obviously we want to kind of do them for hooligan stuff and how I'm available. So if all we have to do is make a bracket uh, to mount it to the bike that's different from rubber mount, then we'll be good to go. So, but you know, besides the fact that I work there, so they want me to run it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, it was funny because I saw, uh, somebody posting Mr. Arceo posting. Oh on, yeah. I saw a trustee on his Instagram getting a new, a uh, couple new pipes and a new can. I was like, wait a sec. That's yeah. Yeah. So that was kind of funny. And then, uh, that looks, it looks really cool actually. So no, it's a super bitchin pipe. Um, it's a little shorter than one I had a little less upsweep. Um, than the one I had and then it's uh it's all stainless. So sweet. Hopefully it's I mean the one I had was pretty quiet and I kinda dug that, so hopefully it's kinda quiet. And yeah. it's also not stepped. Um I think I stepped the one that I had too much. Um but it I don't know, it made good power so it wasn't a big a deal either. <laughs> <laughs> Rad. And I run you know at a higher PM so much that the step's not a, a big deal. It, it helps high end power and hurts low end power. So right. it's whatever. Sweet. And uh, honestly a horse or two is not that big a deal. Yeah. Not when you're talking about Trusty Rusty's uh, amazing performance. <laughs> yeah, all 72 of them. Yeah, hell yeah. I know, that was pretty cool seeing it. And, uh, hey, we have like less than a minute, but do you know, is there is this thing about California putting tickets for, you work at a muffler company. Like, so they haven't said anything at our company. Um, I've been seeing it all over so the internet, heard, but I haven't really seen any so, real yeah, legit I've stuff. I've heard if you replace your exhaust at all, you can get a $1,000 ticket. And then I heard from two guys at work that have cars where they have aftermarket exhaust, and they're like, that's not true. Yeah. It's if you have a shop and you're putting on illegal systems, it's $1,000. And if it's too loud, if it's over the decibel limit, you can get a, a big fine. But if it's a carb legal exhaust system, then you're fine. So I don't think anyone really knows. Yeah, I've been hearing all about it this week on different shows and different things, and I'm like, is that yeah, even real? I guess there's a new limit on the freedom height of your truck. You're only allowed so many freedom inches underneath it. Um, you can't lift it too much, I guess. And which they've always had a bumper height limit rule because yeah. they don't they don't want you to run over a, a 
something and just, you know, take a motorcycle's head off or whatever. <laughs> right. Um, hey, did you, our time's up on that one. Oh, good, man. Good, good. Uh, I know this is going to go by. This is going to be a hard episode, even, even for me. Like, and I, and I tried it out myself. Yeah. Um, this week I was listening to two different takes on Honda and mm-hmm. this is something you can appreciate cause I know you love Honda. I was listening to the Brap Talk podcast, which if you knew about the, uh, two enthusiasts podcast, it is no longer. And I feel like, uh, that was kind of sad. I really, the Brap Talk is basically just a continuation of it, but I, I don't like it as much, but they were bagging on Hondas and saying that Honda needs to have a midline this and a midline that and different ranges, you know, different models and way, way, way back, and I'll, I'll give you an, uh, an example. They were saying like the Africa Twin might just be too much for like a lot of guys. Maybe they should come out with like a 750 thing. Maybe call it like the Trans Alp or something like that because they the 650 and the 250 and then the 1000. That's like a big jump. And they were talking about how one of them is 240 pounds and one of them is 220 pounds. And I was like, well, here's a couple of guys that are like. Compared to the rest of the world that Honda sells to, um, telling they make a seven hundred uh, adventure bike. They do make the NC seven hundred. It's not, and they did make a twelve X. It's not as good as the Trans Alp stuff, though. It's not as. It's kind of like a scooter type. It's a weird bike. But the, I know some people have had them and really liked them. Yeah, they have that like weird adventure scooter over in England too. The uh, the seven fifty probably the same frame. I bet it's a seven hundred too, like the NC seven seven fifty cross tour. I think they call it, and it's basically like a ADV scooter that's like a step through a scooter yeah. that's ADV. But they do have the NC seven hundred X. They also were talking about how they could make a bigger one, and the Honda needs to make a bigger one. And I was like, dude, when the Africa Twin came out, the XR twelve hundred, the VF. 1200x sat over there in the corner lonely it was a it was a vfr basically with the um, yeah. dct they already had a 1200 nobody bought it so well, why would they make because sp- the, spend more the money africa twin is um a good bike that vfr 1200 let's face it y- you that was a huge miss well, and then the x2 like the the, the thing with the xr 12 or the uh the VFR 1200, even here, not the X, it didn't sell. It well, that's what they're. It that's wasn't a, what they're saying. That Honda needs to make a bigger adventure tour, and I was like, they had one, and nobody bought it. Well, and you don't need a bigger adventure bike than a thousand. I, that's my point. Like, so, and, and you know what? If you want a bigger one, go buy a Super Tenere or a BMW. Yeah. So oh, they're man. saying more of like a touring adventure, like. Well, like were, a GS twelve hundred or a super, and Tenere. then they were saying like Yamaha's coming out with the super ten, the seven hundred Tenere, and I was like, dude, Yamaha or not, Honda already has all this stuff, and why would they spend all this new R and D money on it? And then the guys, that was some chubby guys talking about Honda's bad mouthing them. Then there was two chubby guys near to my heart, by the way, that were rationalizing all of Honda's all of Honda's motorcycles. And it was the Nokomoto podcast, this very last uh, episode. They talked about the global licensing and the tiered licensing. And they were Mm -hmm. like, dude, Honda has a bike for every market. And in Japan, anything over 400 is monstrous. So they're only selling to these these small markets. They don't need – just because – You don't need a 500 and a 700 and a 1,000 and a 1,200. Like as a rider – just go fucking buy a big one, or- dude. 
or or buy a little one and then be happy. The guys it just made me think that the guys from the Brap Talk show want somebody want a company in this niche little market that's not like doing uh, exactly the you know the best and and cars are going toward the way of the the horse pretty soon here if you look at like all the AI and crap coming on board. And they're saying, hey, spend all this extra money making like mid-range stuff that nobody's asking for, you know? So it's just kind of a weird to me. Yeah, to me, the large adventure bike thing, like I bet a the Africa Twin 1000 is pretty competitive with a Super Tenere. Oh, I bet. I bet. Even though they're, I think, 1300. Yeah, and I bet it's competitive with the... Uh, R1200 GS, well, the new R1250 GS, you know? Yeah. It doesn't, just because it's bigger doesn't mean that it's better. Yeah, and the thing is, like, I think, one, people look at CCs, they're not looking at power outputs. Yeah. And I, I would trust Honda, that motor being plenty reliable, even if it's putting out more power than the bigger ones. But, okay, so you lose a little bit on the freeway, but you gain a little bit off-road because it's a smaller bike. Like, you yeah. know, it, I don't know. I yeah they make so many damn bikes anyway it's ridiculous yeah and thanks for the no komodo guys for sticking up for them and pointing out the honda why. should make a new rc51 <laughs> on to our next or a new vfr like racer not a vfr like a sport tour yeah on to the next topic did you get to see any of the dakar rally speaking of uh adv bikes and off-road adventures i did not but uh oh, australian dude. won it yeah toby price dude with uh here's the crazy thing about toby price is um a while back he busted his spine yeah i heard about that and there's a, a the short documentary you can go on youtube and actually find it and i don't i don't know what it's called but um, yeah, he was in like a halo, one of those full on halos, told he was never going to walk again and yeah. all that stuff. And he's racing back to racing motorcycles, which is why I'm like, you know, wondering what's going on with Brad Baker. And I'm, I'm been following him, <clears throat> following him on Instagram, checking out all the progress he's been making. It's really cool. And so I'm, I'm really thinking he's been down less than a year. I think Toby Price was down for like a couple years, uh, coming back from this injury. So Toby Price wins it, comes back, busted. He has like a busted up wrist or something though. So he tests. He he won it with like a broken wrist or broken ankle or something. And the tests that were coming back were like, dude, his bone's dead. They're gonna have to like replace the bone or remove it or something. There was a bunch of stuff that he's been complaining about ever since winning. But he won it. He also had won it in 2016. So his story is pretty amazing to go from being um paralyzed at one point to having won the Dakar twice now. But dude, if you go on YouTube, there's um well YouTube has a really cool uh Dakar. I posted some of this stuff up on online and um on our Facebook page. And there's a Dakar official which you can go and check out uh all of their feeds and it's all different languages and there's like a lot of live streaming from um Peru when they were down there. But there's also this channel called Octane 27 that had a lot of good footage. And I couldn't believe there's these people out there in the dunes in Peru. And the wind must have been gusting like 60 freaking miles an hour. And it was just like the trucks would come, those big trucks, the Tatras and Hinos and whatever the other, I forget the other manufacturer. Tatra Kamaz is like the Russian. Oh, yeah, they're race trucks. Yeah, they're they're support trucks, but they race them too. And the Kamaz team basically has that race on lockdown and it showed them prepping like their factory 
uh, bivouac is so rad. And those things were like jumping and stuff. And just when they hit the dunes, like, dude, it looked like an atom bomb went off, like just dust everywhere. And then you see like a little razor come through. Cause there was like a razor class this year or like, you know, like a side-by-side class. And oh, wow. yeah. And they don't have trophy trucks. Like if you think of like the Baja, um, or score, like if you're familiar with all the stuff here in, in California that get, that races down in Mexico, the trophy trucks is like the premier class, but in the, in Dakar it's bikes. They just introduced quads. Um, I don't know if it was this year or last year, but, um, then they have the trucks, which is the huge, huge support trucks. And then they have autos, which is basically like there was the mini countrymen, all the way from a mini countryman to like a Nissan Xterra to like a BMW X5, Range Rovers, whatever auto you want to take. And they're not kitted out like trophy trucks where they have like, you know, 43 inches of t- suspension traveler. And they're, go- they're like almost, almost look like regular trucks that you would find like in montana like that has to go down a snowy road or like yeah. iowa like do you see the instagram of baber like doing peel outs in his truck yeah, <laughs> it's pretty funny something that he might drive around i hope the farm. some of that snow goes away in about two weeks <laughs> yeah yeah it might be a little chilly so they're not like crazy raced out they're almost like stock looking with the lift on them you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. and so and then the side-by-side class and they're going through this like peru the um the if you ever watched the old Dakar, because I hadn't watched it since it was in Africa, I hadn't watched any of this new stuff, and it's just as terrible. Like the dunes there mm-hmm. are were like six stories high, and these cars Insane. just like. <gasps> I did see a truck. I think it was practicing for it, like drive off a dune, and it just dropped out yep. from below. Oh, I saw a bike do that too. Yeah, it had to be a thirty or forty foot drop, just yeah. pinned, because everyone's like, you can't really see it until you come up on it and then even worse then if you freak out and hit the brakes and go over it like then that's just gonna nosedive yeah so the dude just kind of stayed in it and you just see him land and it just kind of tosses it it could have been way worse yeah they had a really good i think it was dakar the dakar official channel had some really good they took some stories and i only picked the motorbike ones i didn't see that they had any other ones but there was like three or four motorbike people that they followed and they were kind of like tragic endings so they just like nobody i mean nobody died but i mean these people yeah. spent all this time and money and and qualifying to get yeah, into it because you got to do a couple rallies like in um china and like africa to qualify or something like that and Does then baja 1000 get you in if you do well there it might i mean any any sort of rally rally raid sort of thing might yeah, yeah. qualify to get you in and then a bajillion dollars and time and you know logistics get all that stuff there and there's a couple stages where when they bivouac, if there's a certain stages where they bivouac and it's just a stopping point for the night, so you have to do all the work. If it's a stopping point for the day, your team can do the work, but there's some where you, you're like mm. – and especially the bikes because on the bikes, you're ironmanning it. There's no team yeah. – there's no co-driver. There's no team mechanic if you break down. So you yeah. – uh, Toby Price, I think, was showing his bike how they have to – carry a certain amount of water underneath the where the skid plate is there's actually a water reservoir down there for if they overheat or if the rider needs to get hydrated they, yeah. they're required to have like so many liters of fresh water Dude, and he's just think of the liters that he's got on him to drink and the food yeah and you know the nutrition like it's a you know those people train physically and very intensely yeah you, know, you oh, have yeah. to plus and, the sleep deprivation you're dealing with like yeah, because they were it's driving. Tough. 
there, it doesn't sound like a long, I mean, it was like 6,000 miles. That doesn't sound, I mean, you think of like you could cross the U.S. and back, right? But that takes how many hours? And they're doing it yeah. over the course of 10 days or 10 stages. And if you, you know, think about like if you're out on the freeway doing 80, chilling, <laughs> five or 600 miles is a long Dude, fucking way and in now, one day. now add dunes or like the forest yeah. parts and, and water like, crossings. Yeah, you're going fast, but you're also going slow for a lot of it. So it's and, nuts. And you never know, like it was really, really apparent with some of these accidents that are on there. Especially in the dunes, you get like, oh yeah, depth you're, perception you're blindness, and, and like all of a sudden you're on this, you know, tan, and then it's gone, and you've gone over the lip of a dune that you didn't see, or like a wash. Yeah, it was nut stuff, and um, the fact that like a lot of these guys even finished was pretty amazing. There, I saw a tuk tuk. I didn't see a tuk tuk class mentioned, but there was a little three wheeled like Indian tuk tuk out there with like <laughs> dirt tires. It might have just been like a in the bivouac area, but it was funny seeing it. It looked like it was racing. The quads actually looked the easiest. I know you're iron manning it still, but the bikes were like having to like dig through sand and like, Oh yeah. I think the quad would go over the sand a little better. Yeah. Turning the bikes through all that sand. But it's, the craziest. you're limited to a 450 though, right? Uh, or, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I I'm not, I'd, maybe uh, the Raptors. Oh, for quads? Probably because the bikes are 450s and the quads probably the same. I mean, yeah, they probably are they only a lot of 450 on the bikes. Yeah. Mm. I guess yeah, the Africa Twin would be fucking fast. Dude. Yeah. Well, that's that new, you know, that's the whole new thing with that new Honda XR450L. It's like a. Oh, the CRFL. S- the CRFL. Yeah. yeah, sort of like a, supposed to be kind of like a Dakar bike because I don't think it has a front fender, just like most of the Dakar bikes don't have like a I think beaky fender. I think 450L does, but there's a 250 Dakar style kind of, right? Yeah. It's, that had some of the fairing stuff. Yeah, it doesn't. It still kind of looks dirt bikey. It doesn't because you know those all those Dakar bikes just have and no. That's front a lot anything. of stress too. Like six thousand miles on a single cylinder. Yeah. Like how many hours is that? You're supposed to rebuild those things like every ten hours or something. Yeah, and they said they're riding sometimes ten hours a day because yeah. to get that many miles over that terrain mm-hmm. takes like ten hours. So yeah, some days I'm sure they're not running like a 450R motor. It's probably more like the 450X stuff. But still, those motors don't. The rebuild intervals are pretty rapid. They're they're like, hey, dude, at this next bivouac, please let's tear the whole thing down. Yeah, dude, they probably got fresh top ends for them. They just, you know, undo the cam chain, throw a piston and rings, and then a fresh cylinder, yeah. and then a totally fresh head ready to go. Yeah, it was pretty rad watching like the prep. And I've never i've I've watched the car for a long time, but they actually broke down the roll charts. They're not allowed. To, they don't have a GPS that points them where to go. They have mm. a GPS that tells them where they are in case they get lost. They have a, kil, a kilometer clicker, like an odometer that clicks yeah, yeah. off how many kilometers they've gone. And then they have a roll chart that they're rolling. Not only are they like avoiding obstacles and pinning it through sand, and like or they're looking down and rolling that chart every by time hand, yeah. by hand. Every time that thing hits a certain, and they're like, and some of it is turned three hundred and one degrees. So they're almost doing a complete U turn and going back a different way. And hmm. they're like, dude, if it says do a 301 degree turn at, or a 362 degree turn at kilometer, blah, 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 I do it. Because if you don't, you start to get lost. You know what I'm saying? And so I was just nuts, thinking how man. crazy that stuff must be. So the bikes looked the raddest and it was cool to see it behind the scenes. The quads looked the easiest. The big trucks looked the craziest. And then the cars just looked like uh, just gnarly because they weren't like the Baja score vehicles. They were just like, 
kind of like just lifted factory factory stuff with some modifications for uh, air and dirt and fuel capacity. Um, if you want to check any of that stuff out, I put some on our website on our YouTube page. I'm sorry, our Facebook page, and uh, you can check out the Dakar official or Octane Twenty Seven. All right, Wiggins. Topic over, time up. We're trying to stay on schedule this week, and I'm going to keep us to it. You know what our next topic is? I don't. Trail breaking. (laughs) A lot of people have been uh, bringing it up. I've seen a lot of people talking about it, and then a few people asked me about it, and I thought we could talk about it a little bit. Um, And then I I put a couple, uh, Slay J, who who was on the show just a few episodes ago with her busted old Harley, um, and has since got an SV that she's tr- trying to learn to trail break with, um, asked me about it, and I sent her some videos on it. And then I think I sent Wigs, uh, I sent you some videos for bikes and for cars. And I even whipped out my old uh, driver handbook for SCCA and had the tra- my trail breaking page marked in it. And uh, I see, and I don't, so the trail breaking in a car to me is interesting because I'm used to, like to me, trail breaking on a bike is just the rear brake. That's not trail breaking. <laughs> that, that's like tail breaking. Um, a lot of people think trail breaking. I've heard that said before on the throttle. It's like dragging the rear brake, but that's actually dangerous to do <laughs> on a because you can trail brake in a car. You can trail brake on a oh, bike. They it, give a really simple explanation over here. It's basically just keeping the brakes on until you turn in, and you're basically kind of at the apex. And they call it trail breaking because you trail. Well, there's two. Two people, when I was racing... There's like two schools of thought, at least on a, on a motorcycle. There is the... And I've heard an interview with Nikki Hayden. And then when I was riding, I'm like, how do you do that? There's one school of thought on a bike is you only want to be on the brakes basically when the bike's straight up and down, right? Yeah. And that's not... That's conventional braking. That's right, regular right. braking. So you brake, you slow down, and then you lean in. Uh-huh. I'm like... To me, that like I would get off the brakes a little bit. And be less, so I guess I do trail break a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, to me it was like you know I'd hammer real hard, and then as I started to lean in, I would I would lift off the brake a little bit. Yeah. Um, especially when I was super motoring, but I was still on the brake into the corner because to me, yeah, me. If I wasn't on the brakes, I wanted to be on the gas. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. don't want much middle ground where you're like coasting. Like obviously in a corner, like some corners you have to, but yeah. Really, I'm like, nah, you should be back on the throttle a little bit. The guy, I never really thought of it this way because when I learned it, when I learned it in a car, we also called it left foot braking because the best guys did it with their left foot. They kept one foot on the gas and then with one foot on the brake, they'd stab the brake coming into the corner and that's your straight line braking. Or some people do um, gas and brake with the right foot at the same time. Yeah, I used to do that to blip the throttle into corners, but braking, yeah, I would try that because I was no good. I was. I was used yeah, to pushing was, the clutch in hard. Which, so. Yeah. Well, what's so. funny, when I learned how to drive a car, um, I was driving a race car and it had a left foot brake and oh, yeah. no clutch because it was a – well, one of them had a clutch. The 600s had a clutch, but it was on the shifter. It was still – because it's a motorcycle motor, so it had a uh, – we put a hand clutch lever on the It was like a giant the, shifter, shifter car, basically. Yeah, but you never shifted the car oh, okay, on, okay. in the 600s. The other one was a 250 two-stroke and we literally um, – put the two clutch halves on, like cut off all the little fins, put it on the shaft and welded it up solid. Oh, bang. So you would be in neutral. You'd push it with a four-wheeler. You could do it by hand too. Um, and you'd yank it in a second. And then the cars were rolling the whole time on the track. Yeah. And then um, 
that car I would shift. I'd go down into the corner and then coming out would I'd blip it and shift up a gear. Yeah. So but, I I used to do the foot on the gas from the brake and going into corners that was great but i couldn't i was so used to pushing the clutch in hard yeah right? no i do that now too if i touch it with my left foot it's like Ugh. yeah and i would like but i rode with the dude once that i was like oh my god i would be breaking right now i'd be breaking right now and we he was like one of the fastest guys in my autocross club and he would literally put the brakes on when i was like letting him off to go coast through the corner he'd be putting them on right there and he'd ride them through the corner and he was he had an automatic so he would like keep one foot on the gas and then trail break it but even dudes I, there was a guy that had a, a mustang and he had a camera in his car to show his feet because he would yeah. do dude his he had a clutch you know he has three pedals he's he was basically tap dancing like sammy davis jr all over that thing and to see him use the left foot braking while he's stabbing the gas too was so amazing and he could fly through slaloms now on a car you want the, you know, you, you, and even on a motorbike, you're taught to break in a straight line and then look and then turn and roll on, right? But the guy from the Canyon Chasers video that I sent to Slay J made a good point. What you can't, if you're coming through a corner coasting and it tightens up on you, you can't coast more. <laughs> and I was like, that's true. So if you trail break, which is like trail breaking is basically what I did on Spamlet. I do it on Spamlet on the crest because there's always those corners that catch me yeah, up. Yeah, I do it a lot. Of, well, I definitely keep a foot and a, and a yeah. hand on the brake at, at places like that. Yeah. Because you want to be, be on them just in case. Yeah. But to me, that's not really what your book said trail breaking was. To me, that's like a safety caution yeah. thing. Well, see, that's but, for cars too because on a car, you can't stay on a brake through the whole corner. Yeah. Because on a car, you trail brake to keep pressure down so that the f- outside front tire is always hooked. Because there's also like a vector circle, if you look at it, like the traction, a circle of traction. That mm-hmm. was a really great lesson that I learned. On motorbikes, it still applies, but you, you only it's have different. two wheels to do it yeah. with. Yeah. Well, and on a car, especially a front-wheel drive car, you have like slip angle and stuff you have to worry about. Yeah. So, especially because the front wheels are doing most of the braking, yeah. the turning, and now the accelerating. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, there's a very – once a little dot starts to go toward the outside of the circle and it's out, you're done. That means you've, yeah. you've either turned too hard or you've braked too hard and now you're not going anywhere but in a straight line. Even with your wheels turned, you'll go in a straight line. I could never learn left foot braking and autocrossing. I have several videos of myself skidding with the wheels locked because I had stabbed too hard and I didn't trail off. But that trail braking basically – is trailing some people say it's trailing the brakes through the corner but most often than not i've heard that you they call it trail braking because you trail off as you hit the apex right and, and when you're at the apex you know you don't have to coast anymore you can pretty much That's, accelerate from that yeah, point really out. from the apex on so yeah. that when i was racing supermoto i guess to is to where it was more important flat track it's a little bit different um, unless it's like a diamond track and then it's similar. Like I would break and I would basically try to de-excel all the way to the apex, turn the bike as quick as I can at a really slow speed. Actually, if you're, if it's like a diamond track or if I could ride it, which is very hard with the sporties to get them to do that. Yeah. And then you, uh, you basically just throttle out a traditional flat track is different because the corners are basically wider. Yeah. So you're going to, you're going to scrub speed in. Um, and then you kind of coast or, um, you know, even if, if you're good, you're, I guess you're on the throttle, like watching Carver on a mile, that dude's sideways for I know. most of the corner. It's so almost like, like a speedway. <laughs> yeah, it, it really is. And then, yeah, you really want to mind, uh, not of mind what I was going to say, but you really want to mess with yourself, like watch a speedway bike and, and they I get can, on I the can explain how to do those too. <laughs> yeah. There's, but of course there's no braking. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, uh, to me, like with Supermoto is because I wasn't, I was on the, I wanted to, if I could get on the brakes later and run in the corner deeper, but keep slowing down for the apex to actually make the corner, then it was like my straightaway was a little longer and it was a little faster lap in theory. Yeah. And on on the cars, the guy in the book really doesn't like it, but a lot of people actually do it now. That book's a little old, but a lot of people do it now because if you were to do all your braking in a straight line versus well, yeah, then it's like through the corner. when you start leaning over, you should already be back on the throttle. Yeah, and you're not even through the corner yet. And if you watch a lot of the GP guys when they're got a foot out and the bike's sideways and they're already leaning in the corner, like if they're backing it in, they're trail braking. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. So exactly, you know, there's definitely that. Um, and a lot of times the back wheel's not even on the ground and they're still dragging it through yeah, the right. front, so they have to drag it to the corner because if you do all your braking to get down to the corner speed on that straightaway. The guy that trail breaks is going to be able to pass you because he's he's going to stab it and then trail off as he gets in. So he's going to have more. And what it does too, he's going to have more braking force through the corner until he's ready to throttle out. And you're just going to be coasting, waiting for the throttle yeah. point to happen. So that's part of it. And I, like I said, I watched an interview with I was pretty sure I think it was Nikki, and he was talking about braking and then leaning in. But like obviously that guy won a GP championship. I bet he was pretty good at trail braking. <laughs> yeah. And he was a flat tracker. So yeah. it was interesting for him to be like, oh no, you want to do all your braking on the straightaway. Yeah. Well, and that's what they used to teach you in motorcycle courses. But I seen a lot of guys on YouTube. When I was looking for Slay J, I was like, I-, I could probably find something. I could see on the street they're definitely gonna tell you that. Because yeah. you don't want to lean like lean over and be on the brakes. Cause if you're leaned and on the brakes and you hit gravel. You're done. Yeah. You're not like, there's no getting traction again. Yeah. So, and there's a guy that's a, a couple guys that are rider coaches that say, I don't, we you know we teach this in the class, but here, like an advanced rider course, we might teach you how to trail break even on the street so that you can get off the freeway. Uh, there, like there were some rural freeways and yeah. he was like, I trail break and I'm making the turn. And if I did all my braking on the straight, a truck's going to rear end me. Cause then I'm going to, so he was well, like, you should have a braking corners. lane. And yeah, and yeah, also they didn't on this particular for, road. Oh, okay. So I was like, wow, that makes sense why you'd yeah. want to learn it then on the street. You for know? people, even in cars, um, there is a lane usually to brake. And uh, if I'm behind you and you touch the brakes before you get in that lane, <laughs> you're <laughs> going to get called a lot of nasty things. <laughs> get get rear ended. And so, real quick though, I, I I hear that you want to run out of time. So, <laughs> what is commonly referred to as trail braking on a motorcycle is not that at all. Yeah, people a, using the rear brake is that's yeah. The, a lot of people drag the rear brake and. Maybe it's mistaken, but they call that trail braking. Yeah, Every, that's what I've always learned it yeah. at, and I've been you know been around a lot. Of, it, you it's know real what? common in flat track when you see Jake Johnson and Kenny Coolbeth was famous for his glowing yeah. rotors. Now you only have a rear brake, so I mean technically you are trail braking on a you're because you, you're dragging it. Through technically, the you're not still trail braking if just because you only have a rear brake. But what they do is but they no, would I, keep a foot. Baker, I know, did it too onto the straightaway like when you're on the throttle they would keep a foot on the rear brake and they would basically be wide open and controlling the bike with the rear brake yeah i don't like that and then of course you overheat brakes you wear out stuff and it's like to me i don't have the same feel that i do on on the throttle um but some people like how it loads the suspension different things weird stuff a lot of motocrossers do that too um, and of course, motocrossers can adjust the bike in the air with the rear wheel. So, you know, they're obviously going to use the rear brake and the throttle for that. Yeah. You hear a guy like 
if you watch a video, um, in case someone doesn't know, and someone's going to come up short and you hear the bike just start pinging the rev limiter, it's because they're trying to lift the front wheel up. Yep. They want to accelerate that rear yeah. wheel. And uh, same when you watch a lot of races and they're looking real smooth and you can tell they want to dive the front end down on a landing and you see the rear wheel stop in midair. Yeah. You know, they're they're tapping the brake. That um, Like rotational moment. That rotational mass is going to help help steer yeah. the front wheel down and in a in a tarmac situation like when you're riding your sport bike through the canyons or on a racetrack when the suspension is compressed it decreases the like the trail and the rake angle which makes it turn better it's not so good in a straight line anymore and i also feel like on the street that what i would call trail braking but kind of dragging that rear brake keeps the bike from like bouncing as much because yeah. you know you have like the rough roads and the canyons and stuff it kind of helped like keep everything kind of stable and not bouncing yeah. as much the risk and with trail braking with your rear brake on the street is that you lock it up you're done yeah yeah <laughs> you're you, you just you were i was just real light on it when i did it and then you know you know of course supermoto has a lot of this because they're using four strokes but trail or uh motor braking too yeah oh yeah 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 and to me like that's kind of the feel so you're getting that motor braking feel yeah and i've heard a lot of people reference like trail braking is kind of like manual motor braking because you can only motor brake so much if you run out of motor braking you need something else but it does it does compress your suspension so that you can make that turn if it's a if it's a decreasing radius you can make it better and then as you get to that apex and you know you're going to make the turn and you've compressed the suspension you barely hold it on you can just you can lightly touch it like you don't yeah. even have to be given a whole bunch a little tiny touch gives it like 20 pounds per square inch or something which is enough to keep it compressed and get you through and then as soon as you hit that apex you throttle out and so that's trail braking in a nutshell and that uh, sounds like the real definition for trail braking yeah, you, so the, I, I wonder how many listeners out there are like me and like my definition for trail braking was not even close to what your yeah. car book says so yeah well, and I'll, and if you look them up on the internet, I should put some. I'll put the video links in the description because these guys That's talk about it. And uh, yeah, do wonder you wonder if we can post those on the Facebook page? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, oh, and it'll be in the show notes for this show on the iTunes and Stitcher and SoundCloud and all that great stuff. Hey, do you, we uh, we got a guest holding on hold. This has been on hold yeah. this whole time. Should we should we get to them real quick? Yeah, let's uh, let's give them a ring. All right. <laughs> For over 125 and a half years, no pickle has been more trusted by motorcycle champions everywhere than Clobman Pickles. You want to win your race? Put a Clobman Pickle in your face. Clobman's guaranteed. I'm a Clobman and I recommend Clobman Pickles for the win. You heard Mama. Put a Clobman's in your mouth and a championship trophy on your shelf. Clobman's, the only pickle for motorcyclists. everybody welcome back to creative writing motorcycle podcast you may remember a couple months ago we had a you know a special midweek episode because there was only five days to go till our regular episode came out and it involved uh mimi and moda the motorcycle monkeys and uh, i promised mark that if we made his uh or if he made his um 
the campaign uh, budget that he needed that we'd give him a follow-up on the show. And I was so excited to see the amount of involvement, not only from our listeners, but from the people they had been reaching out to and the moto community in general. So we got him back on the horn as promised. And Mark, uh, open mic, man. Is there anything, uh, what's going on with Mimi and Moto and the Motorcycle Monkeys Project? Well, first of all, thanks for having me back on, Larry. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, you know, and again, on behalf of myself and Nancy, appreciate the exposure that you gave to us uh, back in October. Uh, you know, as I mentioned when we were chatting uh, a little bit before we started uh, recording, um, you know, all the backers, everybody that uh, stepped up to, to help us, you know, sort of move uh, full speed ahead with illustrating the next book uh, was an important part of the process. So we certainly. Uh, appreciate all that you know where we're at right now you know we we did that campaign we uh, set a goal of 5500 we ended up raising a little bit over 6600 nice so after after kickstarter takes out their little chunk uh we netted just a little bit over six thousand dollars and what we've been doing since uh wrapping up the campaign is really just kind of moving forward with the illustration process which was the whole goal of the kickstarter campaign which was to allow us just keep going, keep getting the book illustrated. Uh, we're moving along well. I'm uh, over my right shoulder here on the wall in uh, in what we call my my dungeon. Uh, we have a, the storyboard, so as we're getting these illustrations in page by page or putting them up on the wall, it makes it real easy to actually kind of like, it's one thing to look at it on the computer screen. It's another thing when you kind of see it on the wall and, and can really just see each page moving, uh, moving along. So we are... I am looking at, let's see, we've got uh, the last sketch we've got is on the letter M. Uh, we have sent off uh, text and ideas and picture references and all, the, all that kind of stuff through the letter T. Um, I was just, uh, before Nancy turned in, we were sitting there staring at uh, the text for uh, the letter V. My goodness. And, um, <laughs> and you, know, it's, it's, you know, it is a much different endeavor for us from the first book, you know, if, uh, the first book, there were 11, well, basically 11 spreads on there. And, and for anybody not familiar with, with the book language, a spread is the left and right page. Okay. Um, you know, so on those 11 spreads, you know, the text is, you know, pretty minimal and by design, you know, we want it to be a picture book. We want it to be a good book for early readers. Uh, Mimi and Moto ride the alphabet, um, is definitely more text. Uh, contains a lot more text. Um, the images, the the details on the uh, illustrations are definitely a little more in depth. You know, we're going for a a little bit older child. You know, whereas the first book, we always tell tell people that's for ages one and up and early readers. I think probably for the second book, is we'll probably you know gear it for ages three and up. Yeah, and um, so it's just more work. You know, some letters have a lot of possibilities and then some letters uh you know q for example when you sit down and go okay let's write a let's write a page here about the letter q and try to bring in motorcycle words and <laughs> quick ideas <shifter>. and concepts <laughs> right yeah it, it's brutal i mean some of the some of the words were, were some of the letters are just uh, a little more challenging so yeah. as and we had already prior to getting into the illustration process nancy and i had already gone through and and we already had sort of a working version uh you know the text we had kind of laid it out already but as we are one by one sending the text off to the illustrator you know we're really kind of re-examining what we had written and kind of going all right well you know we need to improve this tweak that change this and um 
so yeah, so that's what we're tonight was on trying to tweak out the letter V a little bit. But you know, right now we're we're moving along. You know, we feel good about the progress we're making so far. You know, we've told people that we're expecting to have the book uh, released this spring. Um, certainly, I think we're probably looking more towards the latter part of spring. Um, hopefully, sometime in May. And um, so yeah, it's just uh, you know, it's such a fun process. I mean, I, I was a been a musician for my whole life. Um, I haven't played a lot since my daughter was born, but you know, the, if you're creative, uh, creativity always comes out one way or another, you know, if you push it down in one spot, it pops up someplace else. And, uh, and grinding through this process here is, you know, for me, a lot of fun. Yeah. And, you know, I, I could sit there, you know, and, and the funny thing is, is, you know, Nancy and I, we work pretty differently. Um, you know, she's a, she's a, you know, a research microbiologist, uh, by trade. So she's, uh, you know, very got that kind of scientific mind, you know, <laughs> I'll sit here and, and she wants to be efficient and, and work like that. And I'm a lot more like, I'll sit here and stare at this stuff for hours. Yeah. <laughs> the way I used to write songs. Yeah. Um, but it's a good, you know, it's just, uh, it's a great creative kind of thing. We go back and forth. Um, sometimes we, you know, we fight like cats and dogs over this stuff, to be honest with you. I mean, there's moments where like, she's pissed at me and I'm pissed at her. And, and we both know we're, you know, we know the end result will be good. But in that that sort of creative kind of back and forth, um, but it's working. You know, we're having a lot of fun and, and really eager to uh, to get this next book done, printed, and and start getting it out. To obviously, first to all the backers, and then uh, get it out to the the big world out there. Yeah, and you know, you you remind me of me and my wife. She's very linear, where I'm very spatial. Yet yeah. to me, things as long as they get done, it doesn't matter how or when, which is, can be a bad thing, but, uh, for her, yeah, everything's got a process it goes through. It sounds like you and your wife are kind of like, you know, linear spatial. <laughs> and I have to say, I, I, um, <clears throat> I had a conversation a few weeks ago with, a uh, elementary and middle school librarian and, uh, it's a friend of my family and she brought it up and she's like, Oh, have you heard of this project and this book and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, actually, yeah, I, ha- I have heard about it. So, um, it's cool to see, you know, I mean, obviously she knows about me and motorcycles, but it's still cool to see someone that's not in the motorcycle world at all, you know, hearing about the book and seeing it and knowing that it is getting out, you know, the, whoa, sorry about that guy. The, um, <laughs> the book industry, I think is, it's kind of a crazy industry. So to see that it's getting out, um, outside of the motorcycle community is good. Cause I think that's what it really needs, you know, is you know, libraries and, and stuff to see it, not just motorcycle riders, yeah. you know, current motorcycle riders. So it's good. Yeah. Well, listen, I, I tell you, we're certainly doing everything we can on our end, uh, you know, to promote the brand. It's a, it's a nonstop process of getting out there. And, and if you're promoting something, you know, there's no such thing as bad promotion. Everything is good promotion. Yeah. And every opportunity we have to go someplace and, sell books, uh, you know, do an interview like this, uh, get some press, you know, whatever that is. Certainly, I think from a business standpoint, Nancy and I would love at some point to see Mimi and Moto, you know, cross over and uh, start to be something and then to hear something like that, that somebody, um, you know, is hearing about what we're trying to do. It's fantastic. You know, obviously, I think we're still really focused on, you know, the motorcycle world and, and, and whatnot. But, you know, if we can get to the point, you know, one of the, the long-term goals for us certainly is to get these characters animated at some point. And that's where all this stuff kind of gets start, 
to become pretty interesting, especially from a business model standpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the world that we live in now, it really is uh, the animation, the illustration, the, the an- these kinds of characters animated um, is what really drives the revenue model. Uh, you know, we're kind of going, uh, I'm not saying we're doing it backwards, but, um, you know, the way we kind of describe it, you know, the, the, these books for us are the, are the foundation of the brand. But, you know, if to use the analogy with a house, you can't live in a foundation, but you need it. Um, you know, then with the merchandise and all the stuff that we're kind of trying to, to build around it, um, you know, that's what we kind of look at. That's how we can kind of frame the house, put a roof on it. You can kind of live in a very rudimentary sort of way, but you can still live in it. Um, if we can get this to the point where we have an opportunity to animate Mimi and Moto on some level, uh, shorts, a series, you know, maybe a movie one day, yeah. you know, that's where you can kind of put a roof on the house and put some nice furniture in there and really start to explore, um, you know, what these characters can do from the standpoint of what we're trying to do, which is, you know, we're trying to provide uh, motorcyclists uh, with some really cool tools to introduce uh the children in their lives to motorcycles, yeah. um, you know, to get them, get them early, get them interested, uh, young, uh, to spark their imaginations. Uh, once you, you know, if you can get, uh, that going, um, I think any of us around the motorcycle industry and obviously Nancy and I've been doing, you know, we started selling the book at the end of 2016, um, very cognizant of the fact that the industry wants to do a better job of recruiting new riders. Yeah. There's only two way you're gonna two ways you get new riders. Either you convince an adult to go and try it, or you go from the you build it from the ground up, which is with the kids, and that's yeah. really the the niche that we're trying to carve out. And obviously, getting a second book out for us is huge. It, it kind of you know a lot of people can do one of something. You know, once you do the second thing of something, you know, it certainly kind of validates the first thing. The, the first one helps sell the second one the second one helps help sell the first one um it, you know so that's really you know it's important to so right now that's just obviously priority number one is get this thing illustrated get it off to the printer get it back and um uh, just start you know playing that whole game again yeah i you know i i was gonna t- say it's funny that you mentioned the the illustration of it because my kids you know for every every disney movie that's out there um, there's also a little reader's book that's, you know, geared towards small kids that has a super abbreviated version of the story. And then, you know, you get into the, uh, actual book of it later, you know, like my kids right now, they're a little older and they're reading, uh, Peter Pan every single night, the original Peter Pan, but you know, Disney made a movie about that. And then golden books made a little abbreviated reader about it. And now they're into the full on novel and they're into pirates and everything that, encompass that movie so doing that with motorcycles having a having just different avenues with it whether it's a short abbreviated um sort of like younger readers like you know they're your first book or you know the second one stepping up and then even going on to i i forget if we touched on like plush toys or something when we uh when you were on the first time back in october but you know just branching out to all those different levels of awareness and and not just for you know kids but just you know they they they'll go for a toy they'll go for a brightly animated thing you know if it's moving especially nowadays with apps and cartoons and everything being what they are uh it's it's a logical step and and it's a great goal to have i hope you guys um you know i can't wait 
for that day if that uh, if that's the direction you guys decide to go in that's that'll be pretty amazing and um yeah i just it's it's great to hear you talking about these long-term goals so it's not just oh my god we did something check it off the list and now we can like kind of kick back and wait for this book a million of these books to sell because you know you know that's not how it works <laughs> so but well listen i think the thing that you know we've we've learned a lot too in this last uh you know two three years you know the reality is you know we self-published the book we don't have a a publisher a distributor everything that we're doing we're doing ourselves the real in our from what we can kind of gather from what we've done so far, you know, the, the margins aren't necessarily, again, the margins aren't in the books. You know, we, we don't price, uh, you know, the first book when we go out and sell at an event, uh, you know, we're not selling the book for a lot. You know, it's important for us to, to move books, get it out there, get the brand going. You know, funny enough that when you mentioned the plush toys, um, Nancy, what we did recently, we, uh, if you go to the top of our Facebook page, we, at the, we pinned to the top a poll asking people, hey, we're thinking about, you know, along with working on the next book, we're trying to figure out what the next piece of merchandise uh, we should create. So we put up a little poll and we put, you know, a bunch of stuff on there. At the moment, in the lead, for the next uh, piece of Mimi and Moto merchandise, uh, pajamas. Nice. Oh, cool. Uh, you know, every kid would love to spend a day, a day in pajamas, right? that's for sure. It's, listen, it's, I think that right now in the lead is... Uh, remember correctly pajamas and then plush toy yep and then i think maybe hoodie after that but clearly like pajamas is definitely out in the lead at the moment um so yeah listen i mean i think with all this stuff um you know um we're just simply limited by our imagination and uh and the finances to back that imagination up yeah um you know we feel you know we've got uh we've we kind of got the engine started and now it's just you know how 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 much can we get the engine cranking along um, to give us the opportunity to go out there and do the things that, that we want to do. You know, I was down uh, this past weekend, Corey Texter, flat track racer had the winter throw down in Callahan, Florida. Jared Meese was racing. Uh, Jeffrey Carver was racing. Um, so we set up a booth down there. You know, you meet people, you talk to them. I met the people who run the Springfield mile uh, up in Illinois. Um, you know, I've been in touch with Nicole Mees a little bit, Jared's wife. So, uh, you know, it's always fun to, to get ideas and insights from people that are, you know, I mean, Jared and, and Nicole are sort of the, the king and queen of, of flat track at <laughs> yeah. the moment. Um, so, you know, and today I was on the phone with uh, somebody over at the uh, American flat track trying to, you know, talk about what we can try to do in 2019. Um, talking to Moto America, we've got a great relationship with them to see what we can do about, uh, you know, just stepping up the relationship a little bit more this year. So sort of kicking around some ideas. I mean, it is a, you know, it's a nonstop uh, effort as, and maybe I mentioned this to you when uh, we talked the first time, you know, Nancy and I, we just call it, it's called poking the bear. And every day is we just keep poking and poking and poking um, and seeing, you know, what opportunities, um, you know, we can get going and, um, and it's just a lot of fun, you know. It's 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 certainly not work when you're passionate about something. And uh, when we get pictures in of people showing us their kids with the book and 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 all that kind of stuff, I mean that's um, you know, it is. We're humbled by it, you know, that that people uh, you know are taking something that we created and bringing it into their homes and and letting their kids look at it. And uh, and it's fun too because you know when people get it, keep asking when's the next book coming out. Um, that's a lot of fun too. It's uh, 
it's just a really it's a neat thing to kind of go through and experience. Are they already asking about the next next one? You mean they're already asking about book three, or they mean this next one? No, no, no. Certainly, you know, um, a lot of people. I mean, we've you know certainly done a lot of events, you know, in and around the the you know metro Atlanta, Georgia area. So um, you know, we're trying to branch out a little bit more, recognizing you know until we get the the next book out, there's some places that we're going where people are like, oh, you know, my kid loves the first book. Um, so. That's, you know, they haven't, I mean, we have an idea for the, the third one, um, but no, for the moment, you know, they're, they're definitely asking about this next one. And, and, you know, I think what's going to be interesting about this one is the sort of the, the educational aspect of it, uh, of just providing something where, you know, kids can, it helps them learn the, the alphabet and words that begin with particular letters and stuff like that. Um, I think that from the standpoint of the, uh, the book itself and, uh, and what it can be used for. Um, I, I mean, the first book was great, but you know, we're just super excited about getting this one out. I think we think we love the title. Um, you know, we tried to, you know, the same sort of themes, but you know, we're bringing in, I mean, I'm looking here, like just on the board here, like, you know, we've got, Oh, let's see. Cruisers. I've got a cafe racer, dual sport, flat track bike, sport bike, hill climber, sidecar, Freestyle motocross. Uh, let's see. We're going to put a vintage motorcycle in there. A rat bike. You know, it, it just we, there's a lot with 26 pages. You just have a lot more opportunity to bring a lot of stuff in. Um, we're bringing in, you know, grandpa, grandma, mom, dad, sister, brother, cousin, all that kind of stuff. So there's a sort of a family thing going on. Um, yeah, it, it's just this is you know it's a labor of love, and I you know I think I think we certainly see the opportunity here uh, it, within the industry. Uh, to go ahead and, and, and carve out that little niche. You know, our elevator pitch to people is, you know, we're trying to become the Dr. Seuss of the motorcycle world with books, merchandise, and animation. Um, and, and, you know, we just stick with it and, and keep going and keep trying to build our little empire. Yeah, and poke that bear. <laughs> well, I, I have to say that I love the um, the updates that we're getting. And we talked about it, you know, when you were on the show before, how – you just mentioned some of these letters have been a challenge and, and uh, trying to find a creative way to incorporate motorcycles into them. And it's been fun looking at some of the ones you sent me and I thought, Oh, what are they going to do for the up? Oh, they nailed it, you know? And I got to say the, the illustrations are just so fun and funky and uh, they're a little bit different than the first one or first time around. And it's cool getting these, you know, some of the update shots that you sent, just like looking at the wheels, for instance, how much detail they're putting into some of the stuff that's coming out on like the, I think it was the cruiser one. Like the you guys sent out the whole process of like, here's the stick drawing, then they fill it out and then put the details in and just seeing how much work is going into this. And if you funded it, you can see where, you know, where all that money's going. It's, it's really great. And I hope that your next book and your next round of, if, if you go book or toy, or whatever you need to do, I hope that people come through again uh, with funding and help you guys um, just take it to that next level because it's been pretty a really cool journey. And I love hearing all this behind the scenes stuff and hearing how you guys are working and kind of have transformed your life for the in the short term to get this project out. You know what I mean? Like you guys are doing a, a really good job and um, being married to an educator. I know how hard it is to incorporate. Uh, learning and make it look fun, <laughs> you know, like that—that's a job in and of itself. So you guys are doing a great job of it, and I, I can't wait for the book to come out and uh, like hold it in my hands and, and uh, just 
look at it, you know, and see, see all the cool little details that I've been getting updates. Uh, you guys have been feeding updates out on and all that stuff. So, man, I just, I can't wait. I, I, I hope that, uh, this is such a, such a success that, uh, book three comes out super easily, you know? You know, uh, I think book three will be, you know, the, the idea that we have for book three, uh, will be actually quite a bit easier than this because we're going to probably do something related to, to numbers, uh, and math. Um, so I, I think, and we've already got sort of an idea of how we want to roll with it. So I think it'll be a, a little bit different than this, but you know, it's an evolution. I mean, I think, uh, you know, it, you mentioned, uh, you know, sort of the, the Disney stuff earlier when we were talking, uh, Nancy and I watched a great documentary about Walt Disney mm-hmm. recently. And it was, you know, even there, if you look at, uh, you know, if you look at, uh, Mickey Mouse, the first, uh, drawings and illustrations of Mickey Mouse to, to what you see today, you know, uh, Mickey evolved. Yeah. So, you know, Mickey radically, was not the same. radically, radically different in the very beginning. Yeah. Much, much different. Sure. And, and we certainly recognize that, you know, I think one of the things that we wanted to try to do for the second book in, uh, evolving the characters a little bit, you know, certainly not, it's not changing them. Mimi and Moto are always going to be Mimi and Moto, but we wanted to, uh, bring them a little bit closer to what they would potentially look like animated. Yeah. Uh, you know, on, in the first book, um, yeah, that first book was really, you know, very much like I said, designed for, you know, it's a great picture book for, a you know, an 18 month old who's just looking at colors and, and it's, uh, you know, it's a very, it's a kind of a flat, you know, two dimensional, but you know, with a modern kind of uh, twist on it. You know, we definitely with this next one wanted to, uh, you know, not just with the kids, but really with with people in the industry. Um, you know, as we kind of get out there and keep poking the bear, and then hopefully have some opportunities to talk to some people in film and television. Um, we want this second book to be, you know, at least another step in that direction. So when somebody uh, has a conversation with us it's not difficult for them to kind of look at it and go, yeah, I can, I can see this as a series someplace. Yeah. I can see this as maybe as a movie. You know, I think yeah. one thing that we're, I think one thing that we're, we're sort of, uh, I wouldn't say banking on, but aware of, you know, there's so many opportunities and so many entities out there that are looking for content. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, Mimi and Moto, Mimi and Moto go to X Games or Mimi and Moto go to Nitro Circus. I mean, I can see a whole bunch of uh, different stuff out there. I'm going to give you this free one here. Uh, Mimi, uh, Sons of Monknarky. Like you do an adult uh, <laughs> spinoff of this, you know. No, I, I really see the potential here. And I see the, like you said, there's just once you start going in a direction and thinking about the potential in that one. And there's five other ones that simultaneously, I mean, there's so many places you can go with this. So it's really cool to see where you guys are like, where your brain's at right now. You guys are, you guys are thinking super long term with this. It's really, really, really cool to see. Cause I, I really do hope that these, um, you know, turn into one of those things that that's a iconic kids book, maybe, you know, 10 years in the future where, Oh, I remember that book when I was a kid, you know? And then I remember books when I was a kid and I've bought them for my kids, you know, like the, the, uh, there's a whole bunch. I mean, if I don't need to start dropping names of books, but you know, if you read something as a kid and you remember that title and how fun it was to read, you go get it for your kids and then they read it. And it's funny to see how they react to it, you know? So there's so many of those classic dogs. You mentioned Dr. Seuss, but also, um, PD Eastman had a lot of good ones, you know, and, uh, he had some iconic books in an illustration style that still sticks. And when I see it today, I reminisce about it. My kids still love it. So I, I see that maybe Mimi and Moto, 
you know, my kids will read it now and then in 20, 20 years they'll be like, hey, listen, you know, we got to get this for our kids. Go back and see if you can find a copy of that somewhere because it was so cool, you know, and then, yeah. and, uh, and then all these series that have come along since. So I, I see the potential for it and I hope you guys uh, are able to keep doing these things. Well, you know, I think one of the things that I think helps us out, you know, which is a little sort of ironic is, um, you know, the, the industry itself, um, you know, is, you know, is aware, you know, if you look at motorcycle sales, they've been pretty flat for the last 10 years here in the United States. Um, you know, the industry is, is wanting to, to clearly do a better job of, of getting, uh, new riders involved. And, I think that's really where kind of Nancy and I always kind of saw the opportunity. You know, if the motorcycle industry, if ever, if, if dealerships were all, everybody was super happy. If the, the OEMs are super happy with their numbers and stuff like that, I think what we're doing is less relevant. If, if things were really thumping along better than they are. Yeah. Um, is, is, is another, think, another gadget or something to put on the shelf, but right. You, you, they need aware, yeah, they need like, this awareness and early exposure at this point in the game. Right. It, it's, it is, um, you know, again, you know, Nancy and I are not just two, uh, you know, parents who say, oh, we've got a kid now, let's do a, a children's thing. It was, the thought was, you know, uh, does the, first of all, is anybody doing anything like this? Is somebody trying to build a children-centric brand uh, just focused on the motorcycle world? Um, and then, you know, uh, from the business side of it, um you know, what kind of role do we play? How relevant is this? Is is this important for uh, the industry? And we think that as we continue to to grow the brand and get more books out, get more merch out, you know, hopefully get a chance to animate this thing. Um, yeah, yeah, I think the you know it would be cool if in you know five years or ten years or whatever it is, you know, when when some people are out there talking about you know well, how'd you how'd you get into motorcycles? Boy, what a what an amazing thing would to hear somebody say, man, I remember this book, <laughs> you know, uh, that my parents bought me or that my grandparents gave to me. Um, you know, that's really what we're looking at. We, we, we don't see ourselves as, uh, you know, the solution to, uh, to growing motorcycling here in the United States, but we certainly see ourselves as, as, as part of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think we see motorcycling as a, I, I look at it and again, listen, I'm, I'm biased because of what we're doing. So, but so what? Everybody's biased a little yeah. bit. But I look at like motor. I look at motorcycling the same way I kind of look at like soccer. You know, soccer in the United States is clearly on a on an upward trend. I live here in Atlanta. The the Atlanta United have blown up and have sort of reset, recalibrated the bar for uh, MLS soccer here in the states. And I look at motorcycling kind of the same way. I, I think there's. I think there's just so much room to the upside. I think it's especially now because, you know, we're, we're enough into the cell phone internet age that there's, I'm not saying there's necessarily a backlash, but I think people are, are certainly aware that, um, that something, you know, motorcycling is, is, is everything that, that, that world is not. It's experiential. It's, it's the wind in your face. It's smelling the, the grass as you're passing by on the motorcycle, you know, kids respond to that. And it's important that, that they're exposed to, you know, this kind of stuff, because, you know, as cool as screens are and stuff like that, you know, life is not a screen. Yeah. And I think that's why, that's why motorcyclists, why that's why we wave to each other because, you know, we all understand this, 
this thing about it, which is why motorcyclists are so passionate about it. Yeah. Um, there's, there's nothing better. You know, I mean, you guys know the thing. I mean, I love my, I love my relationship with the universe best when I'm on in my helmet on my motorcycle Yeah, and to, to be doing something where we're trying to, um, give other motorcyclists some tools to, um, to share that passion with the children in their lives. Um, and look at it at the same time as a, as a business opportunity. Um, and that's really how we kind of look at it, you know, going back to, uh, you know, probably one of the coolest things, um, when we ran the Kickstarter campaign, as much as, you know, clearly, you know, uh, I know you guys took credit for it and you, you had that part, but I had a really <laughs> cool moment, like the Thursday before, uh, the, the Saturday deadline, I'm at a local dealership with our Subaru and, um, I had brought my laptop there. I was doing some more, you know, same kind of thing, just waking up going, okay, what can I do today to kind of push some buttons here? And, uh, I get, I see this email and it says, uh, congratulations, you, you've reached your goal. I'm like, like, what the F really? Like I look and, um, ironically enough, the, the, the person that actually pushed us over the goal was Tim Boucher, who is the president and CEO of the motorcycle industry council. Yeah. The MIC, and, right. Uh, I was like, and I, you know, like I, I emailed them and I thanked them and I actually had an opportunity probably, uh, it was back in middle of November, but I spent about an hour on the phone with Tim and it was really, really insightful to hear from somebody like that, uh, and to get their opinion and perspective on the state of the motorcycle industry, um, the state of getting kids involved, um, hearing his, uh, ideas and, and, and opinions on what we're doing. Um, I'm hoping to get, you know, to continue that conversation with him in 2019. Um, but to have somebody like that kind of step up and, and, uh, and push us over the top and, and kind of recognize what we're doing was a, was really a cool, that was a really neat little moment. Was yeah. like, wow, I, you know, I remember calling up Nancy and like, Nancy, not only do we make our goal, guess, guess what? Guess you know, who, guess it, who it put us over for, the top. Yeah. It was so, it was so cool. And he was so nice on the phone, uh, down to earth. Um, you know, just, it was a really cool conversation and, um, so that was, that was, that was a, a really neat part of the, uh, the entire Kickstarter thing. Um, so again, we're just, we're grateful to, to you guys and to Tim and to, to everybody who backed us and are just excited to keep working on this next book, get it out and, uh, and see where this journey takes us. We're, we're just, uh, excited about where we think it can go. And, um, and just working hard. Yeah. Are you guys going to maybe be at aim at all, uh, next year? You know, I'm, we're going to try to, uh, we'd like to get to AIM. AIM's not cheap to be at, um, to do a booth, but um, we're actually going to go ahead and uh, actually the, uh, the MIC runs this sort of like what they call like the gas tank mentoring program. Yeah, yeah. And where you kind of, so we're actually uh, in the process of filling out that application and we have to get it in by the end of the month. And what they do is they select um, five finalists uh, that actually go up to aim and present their whole business plan and, and whatnot. And as part of being finalists, they give you booth space there. Yeah. Um, so that's right now, that's how we're kind of, I'm kind of thinking about, um, you know, getting up there and we know we want to get up there. Um, I, I think, you know, only having that first book, it always kind of felt like, man, that's a lot of, a lot of cash to drop on, on an event with just, you know, here we are with a book and a t-shirt and some hats. Um, 
certainly I think getting a second book out will, will make us feel a little more legitimate. Um, we'll see what happens. Fingers crossed that we can become one of the five finalists for the gas tank uh, mentoring program. Um, so yeah, we would like to, um, you know, everything right now for us is really just a function of, uh, of resources. You know, we're trying to be smart about this, you know, we're not in debt, you know, the credit card bill comes in, we pay it. Um, we've got some money in the bank. Um, we just have to continue pushing it and getting to the point where, you know, when somebody's getting on our website to order a book, you know, they're ordering two books. Um, you know, it's all these little things of, uh, you know, building a brand from scratch and that's what uh, we're trying to do. But shorter answer is yes, we want to try to get to aim. Um, we'll see, you know, how this all works out, um, as far as, you know, what's the best way to get there. Yeah. Well, Hey, I wish you luck and, uh, I hope, you know, I probably won't go. It's going to be in Columbus next year, but that's a little closer to you. But yeah, I hope to read about you guys being there and for sure keep us in the loop. And I'm going to be keeping my eyes peeled as, as all of us are for uh, Mimi and Moto be popping out here at the uh, the end of next spring, maybe early summer, somewhere around there. So we can get our hands on it and read it. I'm I'm a terrible reader and I'm sure it'll help me through the alphabet. <laughs> so. Hey, listen, dude, I tell you what, if, if at some point you need me to get back uh, on the horn with you and read it to you, I'll read it to you. <laughs> You're such a trooper. Thanks so much. I was afraid to ask, but now that you've offered, I'll, I'll probably take you up on that. <laughs> I mean, I can't, I can't have you sit on my lap because a little far away, yeah, but far- you Maybe if we were in the same room, I'd let you sit on my lap. I don't uh, care. Man. We'll read it to you. You're the nicest, <laughs> nicest author I've ever met. I mean, it's a kid's book. You kind of got to like sing it to a little well, bit, Well, right? you got to sing know? something, yeah. <laughs> so, hey, Mark, if anybody is uh, – and, and tell Nancy hi, by the way. We haven't got a chat with her yet. and um, But, yeah, tell her hi and give her best regards from us. If anybody's trying to find you on the internet or social media or even if they can still fund Kickstarter, I'm not sure. But where can they find you at? Uh, the, the Kickstarter campaign is over, uh, that once it hits its deadline, you either make your goal or you don't. So that is done. Um, you know, anybody that wants to go ahead and order, uh, the, the first book or a t-shirt or a hat, they can go to our website, which is simply Mimi and Moto.com. Uh, on social media, we've got the Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, that's simply at Mimi and Moto. And, um, you know, and also too, you know, for anybody that's curious, if you can go find us, you can't, even though you can't donate to the Kickstarter thing, you can get on the Kickstarter website and find uh, our page. And actually, if you click on updates, anybody, even if you're somebody who didn't uh, pledge or back the campaign initially, you can still get on the updates on the Kickstarter page and, and see the progress. Uh, that's You don't have to be a backer to have access to those updates. So anybody that's curious to see uh, what we've got going on so far, and we're going to kind of do that, you know, through the, uh, you know, through the entire process, you know, we're just, as we get sketches in, we put them up as we get, you know, primary sort of those preliminary colored versions and we put them up and then um, you can go there, see all the finished sketches as we're seeing them. So that's a great place uh, to see the progress of Mimi and Moto Ride the Alphabet, which is uh, on Kickstarter. Awesome. And I love those. Everybody go check that stuff out. You're going to love it as well. And uh, pick, up, pick up a book or two. If you got a young one on the way or you have a nephew, niece, grandchild, um, what's the other relation here? Your son or daughter? <laughs> Any, check it out. And uh, you're going to love the uh, the updates that they're, they're going on and just how creative they are with, with uh, each letter and how they relate it to motorcycling. Thanks again, Mark, for coming on. And next time, bring Nancy. Tell her she's invited to these. I don't want her to feel like we're, uh, we're leaving her out. 
No, 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 not at all. She completely understands. She knows that, you know, the interviews are a little bit late and uh, she's up pretty early in the morning to go do her uh, research biology type stuff. So um, <laughs> okay. I will I will let her know that uh, if we can uh, do something, get her on the horn, uh, that uh, she's more than welcome. All right, man. And in the meantime, take it easy and uh, keep on poking the bear. All righty. Well, thank you once again. It's so nice to hear from him. Uh, I'm really excited to see those books done, you know, and it's cool to see someone taking the initiative and, um, just even though they have to do it on their own, like being passionate about it and, and getting it done. And yeah, that's so cool. It's cool because they just emailed out some, um, updates too. Oh, nice. Uh, yesterday or today. And the progress that he was talking about, all those letters, is just amazing. They, he mailed out like proofs for a bunch of pages. So if you're a patron, or, or not a patron, if you're a Kickstarter supporter, and uh, you already know what I'm talking about because you get updates via email. But yeah, go check that stuff out. Mimi and Mata, Motorcycle Monkeys Ride Through the Alphabet. Hey, you know what I want to talk about? Speaking of alphabets and words I can't pronounce and weird things like that, um, China. You, want, you know why I want to talk about China? Because... Out of all the global economies, um, China this year is going uh, crazy electric with everything. Cars. I think yeah. I talked. To, I talked before you. I don't remember if it was before you were. Yeah, before you were a co-host, China was making this electric car that's selling for seven thousand US, cheaper than uh, like a YZ one twenty five kids motocross bike, yeah. which is like 7,000 bucks. So 5,000 us. Then they had another one that looked like a Mazda five for 7,000. So they're, they're going hardcore. There's a lot of electric motorcycles coming out too, but you know what else they're doing? That's kind of weird on the other side of that. They're using this money. Let me tell you, by the way, don't, don't <laughs> let me not give you a chance to answer that. <laughs> they're using all this weird money to subsidize, um, the electric, the internal combustion engine, uh, side of things because I recently found out just how many brands Chinese companies own that aren't in China. When we think of China, we always think of like Li Fan or it's crazy to me because I'm always like the buy American because that's going to make our country stronger. And um, everyone's like, like no global economy, this and that, like. Obviously, China believes the same thing. That's why they're buying <laughs> the, these companies. Everything, everything. Because as other countries in the world fall apart or don't do any manufacturing, they're going to have that, and they're the ones going to be raking in the cash. Yeah. Well, and the weird thing is, is that I mean, I don't know what I, I don't, I don't want to base this on anything. I don't want this to become like a geography podcast or anything. But <laughs> I almost feel like China is one of those places that itself is falling apart. And the only reason they're not haven't fell apart, they're they're this great dynasty that's had like a lot of history. Like they're crazy. If you go back, you know how crazy it's China one was. Of the oldest, like still existing countries, yeah, I guess, if you yeah, will. I mean, exactly. And they and they're they're what they've contributed to the world is awesome. But at the same time, um, I've heard stories of like building apartment buildings being built out of like weird um, oil oil cans like not like crisco like cooking oh, oil they have cans. like they have crazy um like slums too yeah and then i mean obviously or not obviously but there's a lot of uh like suicide nets on buildings too for because the factory workers just like yeah. have it and go to jump out a window and now but, they uh, get cut in a net yeah and then on the flip side they make they make like 90 percent of everything at a walmart or a target you yeah know what but I, I think it, like 
the Apple factories, one of them with the suicide nets. Bro, dude, you know how much my iPhone would cost if we had to start, you know, paying dude, for everybody know. that jumps out to the Apple factory? Well, oh, I thought you were going to say if they were going to make them here. And I'm like, <laughs> and, or that too. And what, what always gets me about that is everyone's like, well, it's cheaper, blah, blah, blah. It wouldn't be if we wouldn't have gave them the technology. Yeah. And I think we've said that on other episodes. Yeah. And the thing is, like, if we made more stuff here and we bought more stuff here, then this, the money stays here. Then we would have more money to spend that. I yeah. wouldn't. I wouldn't care about buying a fifty dollar pair of shoes because I would make enough money that I could buy a two hundred dollar pair of shoes. Uh, could be true. I see your logic in that. And actually, I mean, look at the sixties and fifties, sixties and seventies when we did make everything here. Yeah, like we look at it now where we're like, oh, cars were cheap, and they were, but it's not that cars were so much cheaper. It's that the wages and the cars, like compared to what a car costs now or a house compared to your wages is different. All of that stuff has went up, but the wages haven't because, um, well, in my opinion, mostly it's because Reagan just said, yeah, send everything to China. It wasn't Reagan. It was Nixon that first saw the, uh, he could have that first saw the, uh, what am I looking for? The potential. And we actually did a, a, uh, episode on that. Um, but also, I think to to kind of curb inflation, and so that stuff didn't have because once start even even ancient Rome dealt with inflation. Yeah. One thing that surprised me recently is I learned that a lot of Chinese companies are snapping up a lot of Asian companies, not just China. Yeah, that's also true. But in India, there's uh, I think Mahindra's group has snapped up a bunch of old expired um, like licenses and copyrights. Like Jawa is one, and I think there was like another. Um, B, not BSA, but something like that. Maybe it was BSA. Mm. Um, they bought the rights to that. And, and soon you could see like a, not Royal Enfield, because Royal Enfield isn't part of a hindrance, but you could see like an Indian company like TVS or one of those other crazy ones. And it's like, hey, here's a new BSA made by, you know, TVS. Yeah. The funny thing is I... The, well, I mean, in a way, that's exactly what Royal Enfield is. Uh, yeah. You know I, what? I mean, it, it, was, it is. It was bought by an Indian company too. Yeah. I mean, when they moved production over have, to India, yeah, they and, kept it over there. And with the times that they were, uh, I mean, with that one to me, it's weird because the time that they were around, um, you know, England and India were, um, yeah, uh, it was like a in, inva- invaded. Is not what I want to say. No, <laughs> like, they were they were ruling India basically. Yeah. So there was, was like a weird like a history of like they were there. It was like basically during the. Empire, you know, yeah. the British Empire, the empirical uh, invasion, sort of. But China right now owns um, a couple brands that I just saw some cool bikes pop out for. And I was like, hey, those are Italian brands. But um, for one, SWM, you ever heard of SWM? I, I only know of them because I saw uh, a crazy, like, old vintage ad for them. And the W at the time, I thought was for two Vs. It was Cerrone Vergani, which was the two last names of the dudes that made, were best friends making this thing. And then Vimercate Milano. But what I read recently is that it actually stood for Speedy Working Motorcycle. Because these dudes in the 1970s, SWM basically started making small capacity machines for like trials and, and mm. what we would call like Enduro Cross now. But then it was like Enduro or just regular motocross. 
And I just read a I read recently a review of a bike on morebikes.co.uk or whatever by Ross Mowbray. I want to give the guy credit because I'm I'm gonna quote him here. But um yeah, basically I read this article that he had written about SWM and they say SWM went into liquidation in nineteen eighty four and production ceased. So seventies to eighty four, they made it like fifteen years. Um which is longer than victory, right? Nah, maybe not. Maybe yeah. Not. I, technically, yeah, victory motorcycles was ten years. Yeah. So they languished for 30 years just sitting there until uh, this guy named Ampelio Maki, formerly uh, an engineer with Kajiva and Aprilia and Husky, he got his hands um, on the brand or I don't know if he bought it outright or whatever he did, but he joined forces with the Chinese business, businessman named, I'm going to guess here that it's Dashing Gong. Um, it's D-A-X-I-N-G. I think this is Dashing. And uh, they kicked off... Um, Basically, in 2014 at ICMA, they blew out some new SWMs. Now, the crazy thing is, is that it doesn't mean that the Shingong, who is also known for Shine Ray, which we were talking a little bit during our break, um, Shine Ray is like a huge company. They make so many different little spinoffs of scooters and like all sorts of stuff across Asia. And I forget even who. You know, the Shine Ray might be the MASH over in England and the Sim Wolf and all that crazy sort of stuff. They might even just be like Shine Ray, like clones. I don't even know. But Shine Ray is a huge company. So Shine Ray is what Gong, Dashing Gong, maybe. I'm going to just call him Digong. Digong, um, he owns all that stuff. And so he helped this guy from, you know, this former business guy from Kajiva and Aprilia uh, take over and uh, start SWM up again. And they still have the factory. It's over in. It's either in one. It's one of three places. This article said Lombardia. Um, the website I was looking at said Milan. When you go to SWM's thing, and then the place that <laughs> distributes them says it's in Pissarro. So it, maybe those are all three like near each other. Kind of like we'd say we're in LA, but we're not technically in LA, you know. Um, but the model that I checked out was the Six Days Four Forty, and it's it's a brand new model. It looks like a retro scrambler. It's super cool because it is like totally scramble capable scram capable and it's based on their old like 1960s or all 1970s um, trials and enduro bikes because you know the six days was huge back then and that's kind of like what got motocross over here in the 70s was like uh british motocross and uh, the six day stuff so it's a uh it's a 445 cc air and oil cooled single overhead cam four stroke four valve single um, and it looks pretty rad. And I thought, dude, this is still made in Italy. And then I checked this thing out and guess what? They are, uh, make some pretty sweet supermotos too. And I was like, dude, Wiggins mm. would dig these things. Some Italian supermotos. What's that Zaida, that Spanish oh, flat the, track bike? The Zeta or something Zeta. Like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was like, it's kind of like that where it's like a one-off thing from this country that just wants to focus on that so they have some pretty sick supermotos so it's like real expensive but it's not really that good but you can't raise it yeah it's not street legal here or anything because yeah. it's not homologated yeah and then i uh, passed a zeta on a harley not running very well at dirtquake well there for you go practice they're only 250s or 450s so i don't know give them a break and well i mean that was all rider too that yeah. dude was that dude was pretty rad he came up afterwards he's like holy shit you're a hauling ass and i'm like this thing won't even open the throttle up <laughs> 
I have it duct taped open. And uh, we're over time, so maybe I shouldn't talk about Benelli, but I want to. In 1911, Benelli started repairing motorcycle engines. And in 1919, the first motor was started. Um, And in 1921, the first real Benelli came out. And I knew Benelli's. I actually had one in my garage for a little bit. It wasn't mine, but uh, I let my buddy park it there. And they were really famous for like their 250 and 500 like cafe, real cafe racers back in the cafe days. And in 1995, um, the the guy some dude uh who was an, an italian guy uh bought a majority stake in the company um and he was going to change all these models and come out with like new scooters and all this stuff and he came out with the tornado 900 cc uh it was a triple and then the tnt 1130 sport bike and in 2005 uh they became part of the qj group and qj is also uh, this huge, it's um, Kyungjing, I want to say. It's another, I can't pronounce. I don't know what it is in Chinese. But they're one of those other brands that has like Ice Bear and Baudet, like a bunch of people that I saw at AIM. <laughs> like I saw a bunch of Chinese companies at AIM that we'll never hear of because they don't have dealerships over here and they don't mm-hmm. have really um, like uh, distributors or anything like that, you know? So it's just one of those weird things. But Benelli does and Benelli will. And I think the guys from the No Komodo podcast actually either rode the 600 or the 300. And so the TNT 300, you can actually get, it's a 282cc uh, liquid-cooled dual overhead cam, four-valve, four-stroke, parallel twin. And they're still in Pissarro, Italy. So, and there's a, and they're not the only two. There's like a bunch others that um, are still being swiped up by uh, country uh, companies in Asia and China in particular, but also India. And they are really making their mark in the motorcycle scene because they're trying to bring, they're trying to keep these brand. You know why? Why move all your stuff to China and then have people criticize it? Why not just leave it in Italy and let people criticize it? So uh, that's that. We ran a little over time on that, so I'll try to speed through this. We're only going to give this about five minutes because um, five to ten minutes because this is something we talked about with Singsime the other day. I this is something that's happened recently and I wanted to bring it up a couple episodes ago, but we didn't get to it. Um and so I thought I'd bring it up now. In if you're in West Virginia, Mercer County to be specific, um you know you probably know if you like eight uh ATVs and, and side by sides and dirt bikes, um you probably heard of the Hatfield McCoy trail system. I just read an article, not just a couple of weeks ago I read an article that the Pocahontas Trail was being closed. And right now the uh I think his name's Jamie Knoll. He's the like the director or something of the uh convention and visitors bureau there in Mercer County. Um they're they're Bumping back the closure of the day of the Pocahontas Trail from January 14th to February 1st. I don't know if it has anything to do with the um, budget, not the budget, because the uh, government shutdown. And actually, I don't know what the, if that's affecting like recreational areas. But you know how we were talking to Sing Simon about people should basically like, you know, we, we have all this stuff with forest fires and this and that. And like, if they would let us like recreate on these things, they could raise money to plan for that. Well, this ties in exactly with our next story. In this particular one, um, there was a mining company that owned land rights or that had like a, what they had was a lease on the property and they, they're worried that like people riding through there is going to create safety hazards. They're going to crash into like a mining truck or something, you know, those big ass giant trucks that like 
are like six stories tall. Yeah, those uh, they're, things are insane. Yeah, they're like afraid someone's going to like get run over by one of those or something. So this guy named John, I'm going to say Fakete, maybe Faquette. He's the deputy executive director of the Hatfield McCoy system. How would you like to be the deputy executive director of like Mount Wilson bike trail? <laughs> like I don't know what that position, but he's the director of the Hatfield McCoy system. He said that they're trying to get talks underway to keep like the whole thing open period not have it closed um and maybe give an alternate route so that the mining company can still um have their entryway or byway and that you know p- people can go on this book on this trail partly because and this is kind of wrapping into what we talked with sing some about so many um th- th- that's the only trail into the area where all these lodges and and trailheads are and stuff like that so that's the only road in um, for for all these businesses that depend on the motorcycle industry for their income, whether it's like these little campsites or lodges or like inns and restaurants and all this stuff. So they actually had a reduction in bookings once that kind of got thrown up in the air. They, we don't know if, when we're going to close the trail or not. So they're like, well, dude, I'm not going to bother to book. So, you know, we were talking with Singsime about, you know, put this stuff in the hands of the uh, – you know, open this stuff up to recreation. Let's open up some new trails or whatnot – and we'll go ahead and we're the ones that will take care of it, you know. And, and the more people you get out there using it, the more money you're going to have to build a, a different road for Pete's sake, you know. And it's a mining company for Pete's sake. Trump saved those guys so they could help us pay for, uh, right? Didn't he help save the mining industry? Yeah, in the, because coal's super clean. Yeah. And uh, and all those coal miner jobs matter. So um, watch, they're like yeah, mining a All like 200 something. of them. Yeah. Well, the it, it funny thing about the coal industry is it didn't Starbucks say, employs more people than the coal industry. Yeah, I know. It didn't say coal mine. So watch it be like a pyrite miner. We're just being, I'm just being a jerk. <laughs> but um, also tying right into this one, um, the off-road roundtable, or I'm sorry, the outdoor recreational roundtable leaders um, and recreation companies and CEOs met with Secretary Senator Purdue under Secretary for Natural Resources and the Environment Jim Hubbard um, from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. What uh, what does the U.S. Department of Agriculture and motorcycles have in common in the past? The beef ban. Lots of fights. Yeah, the, the beef fight. ban. Don't you remember the beef ban? Uh-uh. Oh, they were going to tax our bikes because Europe wouldn't take our crummy beef, so we were going to tax. So they're like, well, we're tax your motorcycles then. We're going to tax anything from Europe that was over 500 cc. You don't remember that beef ban? So this time, (laughs) this time it's not the beef ban. It's actually a bunch of people. The new um, president and CEO of the MIC, which puts on AIM, um, they were talking with a bunch of people from the motorcycle industries, a bunch of people from um, basically recreational uh, CEOs that like have any sort of tie with like outdoors. And they're saying, you know what? Like, here's the deal. The, the national forests are super important to us because for recreational activities, like hiking, skiing, climbing, camping, but also like, what about the us motorized enthusiasts? So they were trying to tell, this was a headline. I think we did forget the fake out that the, the, the U S employs, um, 44.6 million jobs is just in the power sport industry. And it's like 2.2% of the nation's economy higher than coal. I might add (laughs) to get to your, to make your point better. (laughs) Um, and this ties right in with the story above. It's like, you know, we have things that you can't use recreational land. So 
businesses are suffering and this is like you know more people are employed by this than the coal coal industry and probably the um stripping industry strip like strip teasing industry i'm guessing i'm guessing that 2.2 percent of the nation's economy is yeah but that pays pretty well though you got me there but um but yeah anyway they're saying that there's this farm bill that's going to allow rural economic development grants for recreation infrastructure in rural america and the also, wildfire costs impacted the recent recreation efforts, um, and they thank the recreation industry for the role in the recent recent legislation that could control future fire costs. So that they're they're already kind of saying what we were: you you let people go into rural America and pay for it, and now you have like a national fire fund. So it's helping, hopefully, helping with the some of the problems that we were talking about with Sing Slime last week. Like, why don't they let us in on this area? Nobody's using it. We're not going to tear it up. We're actually going to take better care of it and then use those fees to pay for stuff like new trails, new, you know, taking out the, clearing the forest from deadfalls, all this uh, stuff that ends up being a national disaster and putting California in the news over and over and over and over again. How do I turn my watch off? There we go. All right. Time on that. What do you think about that? Should we? Sounds good. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Next in the news, I know you're going to love this one. Um, Hot bike is going to be dead in 2019. Did you? I thought it already was. Well, the Bonnier Corporation uh, said they're ceasing publication of Hot Bike effective immediately, which is the last issue of 2018. Um, It's on newsstands now. It's issue number six. Um, that's the last one in 2019. It's not even going to come out there. Uh, Mark Hoyer, who I really actually like is, uh, and he was for, I think he was a ch- editor in chief of like motorcyclist or whatever, you know, Bonnier owns like dang near every single motorcycle mag, except for like Roadrunner and maybe racer X. Right. And cycle news. So all the other motorcycle, uh, mags that they own, uh, you know, Mark Hoyer was um, saying thanks for the editor in chief and his team making it a great magazine. Um, but their their ad spending continues to change, particularly in the V twin space. They are going to shift their focus and efforts to larger, more general interest moto brands. Quote: That's a quote from Mark Hoyer. And I think you and I were talking about this ten that, years ago. Well, and that'll be interesting to see what they do if they try to make like a general purpose motorcycle magazine. Yeah, that'll never work. I mean, you could you could do sections and kind of trying to encompass everything, but to me it would need to be more like the um is it Cycle World that's doing the quarterly now? Yeah, that's the thing. It's like motorcyclist and cycle world, I think are you know, down to quarterly. And another crazy side note and those are both Bonniers, I think. Both of those are. I think they are. Um, another crazy side note about like print going away and blah blah blah. Look when Sideburn started. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> like ten years ago. Yeah, but he he's killing it. I mean, Sideburn for a small publication. Uh, isn't but, Iron and Air a s- publication? Yeah, and you know, like we talked about over the break too. I don't. I bet Hot Bike was making money, but. Corporations like Bonaire, they don't care. Sideburn has to support like one family, right? Like it's a lot of work. You know, Gary does it, but it's pretty much him. Uh, there's other people, but still, like for the most part, it's him. Bonaire, there's people that have nothing to do with the magazine, but we're probably making more money than everyone that worked at the magazine. 
because it's all about profits. Yeah. So, and they said part of the reason they're cutting is because they lost support. They lost ad support from the people that want to advertise in those magazines. And one of the reasons they lost ad support is they had built up this clientele of or, or these like employees, not that they built them up, but they had these employees that were dedicated and that knew a lot of people in the industry. And then they let them go. And a lot of companies that advertise with them were like, no, yeah. like we really like this person and you let him go. So we're not going to support you anymore. So there's definitely like that side of it too. And I mean, honestly, like this industry is very small, especially when you start talking about the chopper industry and, and the hooligan stuff too. It's like, it's crazy to me, like how many people see it, but it's still a very small part of it. So, you you know, and, and it, it became from me working with them a little bit, it, it became like people that really didn't know much about the scene. They got rid of the people that were in the scene and that knew everyone in it and that were dedicated to it because they loved it. And that came through in the publication. Yeah, and it, and it also said uh, the mag- hot bike was spared the disruptive changes taking place in the publishing community because of ad support from the motorcycle industries. Um, let me skip ahead. Unfortunately, two significant reductions in ad revenue from OEM and large aftermarket company hurt the print brand in 2018. A, you got like, you just have a changing... Yeah. A whole changing demographic, a changing of everything uh, people are looking for. And like you said, these smaller niche brands that know what people want, they're not trying to get all the whole industry. They're trying to yeah. be, they're trying to do their thing. And Hot Bike, I mean, they have the Hot Bike Tour. I think they're still going to do the Hot Bike Tour, actually, um, because people like that and they don't need to subscribe to the magazine for that to be a thing. And so they're still going to do the Hot Bike Tour and do Hot Bike dates, but the the print mag is done. And I bet you, well, it's copyrighted and licensed, but I bet you somebody could pick it up and do a chop version called Born Free or something, and people would buy the heck out of it. Or, yeah. like, there's already probably some, like, basket case. It, it's or weird. You need to adapt because that, you're going to lose value, and eventually nobody's going to want to buy you anyway, right? I mean, what's going to be the use? Do you Shit. know? No speaking, one wants to buy me, so. Speaking of, you, you, you don't lose value, my, my friend. Hey, listen, do you know what holds, speaking of losing value and uh, not being made anymore, do you know what holds its value the best? The best resale value for any vehicle, according to a New York Times report? Um, I'm going to say a vintage Ferrari. Three-year-old Vespa scooters hold their value better than the best cars, trucks, and SUVs, according to a New York Times story. And I wonder, too, see, vintage Ferraris are going up in price usually, so... Yeah. But something like that might be, like, not really thought of, where, interesting, like, so a used Vespa is a good... Yeah. Dude, it holds its value, and of course, this is relative to the, I mean, a Vespa isn't $60,000, but they hold their value better than the best cars, trucks, and SUVs, um, comparing the average retention value. The average for those vehicles is 55.7%, according to J.D. Power Resale Value Awards, and Vespa scooters retain their value at a rate of 72.1% of their purchase price. Um, And if you go to data from the Kelly Blue Book, just like the latest edition, um, there's additional support of the resale claim. Two-year-old, five-year-old, and 10-year-old model Vespas uh, are in the top 
10 two-year-old scooter models list, and there are seven 2016 Vespa models, all holding strong with over 80% value retention. So it turns out if you want to make more bang for your resale buck, don't go uh, buy an old, you know, Dyna and then try to resell it for a lot because they don't make them anymore. Go buy a Vespa, it turns out. Um, or buy my Dyna. Or buy, you, you know, you can still buy a Dyna if you want, but uh, go, <laughs> go buy a Vespa. Who knew? If you're in it for investment. if Yeah. I think one thing that's a pretty common, um, what do I want to say, uh, common throughout the motorcycle industry, um, I bet none of us are in it for the investment. <laughs> well, and if you buy a Vespa... You definitely are like a different brand. I'm sorry for all the clicking you guys hear. I'm trying to reset my watch. Yeah, you're definitely even a different brand of motorcyclist if if you're into the Vespas. You're into the bagel. You're the scooterist bagel. <laughs> no, but yeah, I mean, it, it's just one of those things. Like some people do buy them to commute because they're a little cheaper to commute um, and the maintenance they feel like they can do. But it, it's still like most people who are really into motorcycles, even if they're just commuting, it's not like an investment in the in the item itself like cars and and motorcycles are not good investments. Yeah. Unless you terrible. bought I mean I mean think like I was going to say unless you bought like an RC30 when they were new but I don't know if they cost new in the 80s but are they really worth that much more now? Dude, is the RC51 worth uh, what it was in the yeah, in the not 90s? even close. Yeah. Not even close. Um speaking of RC31s and RC50s, nothing to do with those terrible segue. Uh but it, it is two wheel related. Um, at CES, which is the Consumer Electronic Showcase, this happened a couple of weeks ago, so you can see why I wanted to get this out here now, because a lot of people have been talking about it for the last couple of weeks, and I was like, you know, we had it ready, but we had a lot of guests, so make a long story short, we're doing it now. Um, there's a couple of things that uh, debuted at CES this year that were pretty important to a lot of people. Um, the second one, we'll save the best for last. The first one was that Ducati presents car-to-bike communication technology. And I brought this up before. Do you remember what I said about Ducati, like on the new 1260 Multistrada, how you're going to be able to save your ride, yeah. your route, your um, braking and cornering, and it's going to track all that stuff. You're going to be able to, if you have the Ducati app or whatever, you're going to be able to send it to your buddy or review it and say, hey, on this road, look, I braked here, and look, I stopped here, and you can even add pictures. It's kind of like a ways, having your own private ways where then people can look at it and be like, oh, wow, and you can, like, bench race your buddy. Well, that's just the start. That's just you and your bike getting getting your jam on, you know, getting your fudge in the mud. Now they have a C to VX, which X, if you think of, like, algebra, means, like, every X, anything, everything or nothing. So C to V. Uh, or C V to X is the communication, uh, or no, I'm sorry, connected vehicle to everything. And it means other vehicles. We've already talked about V to V communication a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, vehicle to infrastructure communication. About two years ago, I was talking about how BMW helmets are, they're, they're engineering a helmet with the heads up display that's going to react with the infrastructure to tell you, hey, like there is. Um, uh, it's going to have like ways on your thing. Like, like there's hey, a, there's, const- there's a wall up here. Don't hit it. Yeah, there's construction <laughs> around the corner. Slow down, or there's like wet conditions ahead. So, and that's communicating to infrastructure that doesn't exist yet, but they're getting on with that. And so now you heard about that lady got ran over by a Waymo in Arizona, right? She just like walked out right in front of it. It was either a Waymo or an Uber or something. She just like walked out right in front of it, and it wasn't the car's fault. It was her fault. And uh, what's a Waymo? 
it's like a self-driving car. Oh, okay. Yeah. And, um, they're, they're piloted in Arizona. Uh, like their pilot program was in Arizona and this lady was like looking at her phone and just stepped off the sidewalk out in front of one, like not even looking. And they're probably electric. So they probably hear silent, the, the silent killer, <laughs> the electric car. Um, so now what they're doing is this new, this next step Audi, since Audi owns Ducati, um, right now, Ford, Audi and Ducati, um, and Qualcomm, which Qualcomm is a uh, right here in San Diego. Qualcomm Technologies. Um, I'm I'm sure there's more around the world, but whatever. They are coming together to do these the Internet of Things sort of with vehicles, where they're going to be talking to each other. The car is going to say, "Hey," or the bike actually will transmit to a car that it's uh, turning left or something like that, or that it's coming from a blind corner, so the car doesn't run into motorcyclists anymore. Also, they're going to be talking to infrastructure like parking garages or smart intersections and we've talked about this where like this is way in the future but it's being tested already where one car is doing 35 and the other one's doing 30 and it's like hey you're 500 feet out i'm 600 feet out if we stay at the same speed we won't hit each other so just go and there's no need for lights anymore so they're doing that they're working on that and then so that people don't get hit because they're idiots on their cell phone instead of looking where they're going nowadays and i see this so much like around town um you don't. You're not looking down at your, you know, screen and step out into the street like a stupid. A, you, the car will read off your GPS on your phone and say, "Oh, there's a pedestrian." Suddenly, a GPS signal has entered our space. Slam on the brakes. So they're working to make driving smarter without making the vehicles. Um, hopefully, without making the vehicles too nanny and like. You know, we don't want crashes, that's for sure, and we don't want to run people over. But I'm saying, if you're looking at your phone and not like where you're going, the gene pool. I mean, maybe we do. We don't need cars smarter <laughs> to help with the gene pool. I'm just saying. But it would be nice to like think of how much time, like, because traffic sucks, because people can't merge or get off very smooth, or or there's you know the whole traffic snake thing where one person hits their brakes ten miles ahead of you, but over time that creates a traffic jam way back, and then yeah. How much time do you sit sitting at a light? Um, I've seen several uh, real real life um, depictions of that. How one yeah. person can alter yeah. miles and miles of traffic. Yeah. So how nice would it be to just be like chilling in your car, listen to a creative riding motorcycle podcast, and just like cruising through an intersection with no worry, no light, yeah. not waiting. You're like I remember when motorcycles were a thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there goes a self driving <laughs> one right now. Um, BMW does have their new self. I know. Standing. I don't. We, it's I don't supposed know what to be for research, be. but so does Yamaha. What two years ago they came out with that Motobot that raced. Uh, yeah, it was slower than Valentino Rossi, but it still it's learned. And now yeah. if they do it again, they'll probably beat him. He's not doing that good this year. <laughs> but uh, I mean, it's interesting Rossi's where this going to be an old man. Yeah, I know. It's and it's, he's. He's still pretty damn good. He's, probably, he's still pretty good. Yeah, he's better, way better than anybody I know. But the future is going to be interesting. That's all I can say because the, they've been working on this for a long time. They even use it in Europe. They use a lot of infrastructure um, feedback in Europe to yeah. alter traffic and help with traffic. Yeah, doesn't seem to help in England, but uh, well, it seems I, like Germany's got it figured out. I don't think out. LA's doing it. So. Yeah, well, not yet. <laughs> um, another really, really... We'll add a tax to the gas and... and uh, yeah, like we'll that. add a tire we'll, tax. That's how we'll pay for it. Yeah. yeah, any tire that touches the road, you have to pay another <laughs> another tax, and uh, we'll finally fix it 19 years later. 
Um, we'll see what Newsom does. Huh? We got a new governor. We'll see. He's already planning on spending yeah, a whole bunch of money seen, on things. Yeah, just not fixing roads. Nope. Um, so another really important thing that debuted at, at CES was the uh, Harley Davidson Livewire. You ever heard of this bike? It's, yeah. Uh, it's a Harley Davidson that's supposedly electric. Um, and uh, I read this rad article. I think I got this up Power Sports Business, maybe. Uh, BMO Capital Markets analyst uh, Jarek Johnson or Garrick Johnson uh, provided research to Power Sports Business. So it was where I read it. Following Harley Davidson's details about the Livewire electric motorcycle. You know, you know. Basically, that's the end of that uh, headline there. Do you know what he basically found out? It's too expensive. <laughs> um, he thinks that the styling's attractive. Someone had to do research. For that? Yeah, I know. Damn, dude, I'm in the wrong field. How I do know. I get hired for shit like that? Well, here's the funny thing, because the biggest concern that he had was the thirty thousand dollar price tag, because it's twenty nine seven after taxes and destination yeah, fees. It's a thirty thirty. It's already bike. thirty with just shipping and and. And it destination looks, fees. It looks good. I think one thing that I like about it is it looks different without being too different and without like having a huge square battery like the zeros. Where it one thing look, it does look interesting. Yeah, like, where one thing I don't like about the Energicas, and this will sound stupid because they look really good, but they look like a motorcycle. Yeah. Like you, when you look at an Energica you don't know that it's electric. Yeah. And it, I'm not actually saying that's a bad thing. And they, I really, they look really good. Yeah. But absolutely. Keep talking. I'm going to go grab my Energica brochure. For oh, you. now I'm going to totally blank out and I don't know what to do. <laughs> but at the same time, I feel like that's kind of a letdown in that it's such a new bike, but it looks just like every other bike. Um, so I think it would be, I think it is super cool that the, the live wire is, when you look at it, you don't think, oh, oh man, there's another normal, you know, gasoline ice engine bike, um, where the Energica, you just can't tell. Yeah. But for my money, I, I think Energica could be, especially with their new price point, I think that'd be the one I'd be getting. And I want to follow up with that, but the guy, uh, in this article said that here, this is a direct quote from him to, um, a quote, a complaint we often hear from dealers is that hogs motorcycles are too expensive. Livewire seems like a different chapter of the same story and is likely too expensive to attract new riders end quote. So yeah, they also, another thing was that dealers and skeet, um, Hornacek Jen from, uh, Orange County Harley told me mm. that they are actually getting a, a, uh, charger installed right now. And cool. so some of the stuff was like, um, the, the price to this charging stations. What does they say here in this article? It was silly what they say. The other service, uh, retraining technicians, new tools is prohibited running into six figures. Dude, it does not cost you six figures to install charging stations. I know because we, we interviewed but, a guy that does it for a living and on not, the show. You know, and not with Tesla doing it so well. And then, and then, you know, so deep into it. I'm kind of surprised Harley hasn't tried to team up with them a little bit. Um, you know, we, they tried, they teamed up with Ulta, but that didn't last very long. I don't know why they got rid of that, but that's cause they, they did, they grabbed the goods and, and ditched them. Yeah. I um, mean, here's, 
But here, here's the deal. Here's the other deal is that they say they have difficulty seeing the Endeavor scaling to a profitable level because uh, Zero Motorcycles, the leader in electric motorcycles, sold only 750 bikes in the U.S. over the last 12 months. And that's at a cheap price. Zeros are pretty cheap. So how, how many oh, Harleys is that? But they look even cheaper. Well, <laughs> yeah. No, you're right. And, and that's – and the thing is with a company like Harley, 750 is not going to cut it. Like they're they're not going to be happy with that number, and it's not going to do what they need it to do unless this bike for them is not about making money. But it's such a large company for that to be true. Yeah, and you know what? You're they've been they've been throwing this out there since 2013, 2014. I know 2014 was when the tour went, but I think in 2013 they even said like, "Hey, we're thinking about like doing an electric bike." And then in 2014 was the tour to get people. Yeah. opinions should they make it and now that they got it it's friggin and it was more than that when i first looked at the website on monday uh when it was first announced it was like 32 or 34 and then when ces happened it dropped down to 29 mm. so they already had it listed higher on the website than they mentioned at ces that was probably preliminary pricing i know they can change it and, the, and they change it for the better but after taxes and destination fees, which you pay, and delivery mm-hmm. fees and assembly fees, yeah. like they're going to get you every you know every chance. They and can then minus that. any accessories, because you can't walk out of a Harley Davidson dealership without having some accessories. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's still a cool bike, but like this Energica catalog, you know, there's the the cheaper bike is basically twenty one grand, makes one hundred and thirty one foot pounds of torque. 109 horse with a up to 124 mile range. Yeah. And then the other two, the Ego and the Euro. The Ego is like the full on race bike. And I, I did a little the thing The Ego is the full fairing bike. Yeah. Um, and I believe the other one is just a naked version of it. It looks like the same bike. There are 148 foot pounds of torque. Um, Which is more than the Harley baggers and stuff have. It's more than my RC51 has yeah. by a lot. Um, and 145 horsepower and up to 124 mile range, max speed, 150 mile an hour. And, uh, one, so the naked one is starting at 21, six. So it's basically starting at $700 more than the, the one has a round headlight and it's more like, uh, a little milder styling, but a round headlight. And then the, the other naked one has a little bit more fairing to it and has like a yeah they have a like, like a Triumph or Perilla naked yeah, bike ish they have like a retro a street fighter and a sport yeah, bike yeah yeah and then the sport bike starts at twenty two five yeah and so uh, so here's the deal I made a little tech spec here this is just electric specs and, on paper and these are like radial mount Brimbos yeah good looking oh, components yeah. all around them like and this actually says two thousand eighteen I thought they dropped the prices more. But I thought they were in the 30s, so maybe they did just drop them down to the 20s. They dropped them, yeah, to the lower 20s. They were almost 30. So the HD Livewire retailing uh, MSRP 29799 they don't really give you a lot of – they don't give you a weight. They didn't give a horsepower rating. They didn't give a top speed. But in the preliminary stuff, they were saying like 62 miles an hour or whatever. Their range is 110 miles, um, and that doesn't tell you at what speed – that's probably an up to 110 also. Up to 110. And there's zero. And freeway is what kills them. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Because zero is the same. It was around 100. 
Yeah, and so the H the uh, zero to sixty time is three point five seconds. They do give us that, and they so they want us to know it has some torque, and then uh, it supports level one and level three charging. Which level one you plug into your you know if you're in America you plug it into your wall outlet where yeah. you plug your kid's nightlight. Level three is really good fast charging, as we talked to um, a few episodes ago now to, uh, the, our electric buddy. Um, and then you get this HD connect app with a bike status dashboard and theft alert, and you only get it free for the first year. So I don't know after that, you got to pay to get, be connected to your bike and all that stuff. So it's kind of, that's a crummy thing that they don't just have like some sort of Bluetooth interface or something yeah, like that. that. I mean, in contrast, the Zero SR, which we didn't get a chance to ride, we rode the Supermoto one, which is just as fun. But the SR is like the top of the line Zero Sport model, and it's the R. Um, they start at sixteen four ninety five, but I I went and clicked all the buttons to spec it all out, and it was still uh, nineteen thousand nine hundred ninety, so a full uh, ten thousand dollars less than the Livewire. Uh, it had 70 horsepower. They actually put it down there. 116 foot-pounds of torque. It only it weighs a 458 pounds, oh, wow. which, you know, batteries are heavy. That's the thing that kills them. Oh, for sure. But it got 223 miles city or 112 freeway or 150 mm-hmm. miles combined. So, I mean, that's already way better than... It's not too bad. So that's up... I mean, the way Energica says it, that's up to 220 miles. Yeah. Now and that's that's for the zero and that was zero without me riding it too yeah yeah <laughs> or at least not test riding it and and zero supports level one and level two you can get a power tank with a level two charger in it and all that stuff and that's what I did on this model that I spec'd out and so nineteen it's it's ten thousand less than the Harley you still get the same charging capacity you get two hundred and twenty three miles city or one hundred fifty combined so that's already uh, sixty or I'm sorry forty miles more than the live wire and we don't know what the live wire if it's combined or total or what you know what i'm saying the energica ego which is their you know sport bike um it horsepower 145 145 horsepower a lot of ponies man and Uh that's and the thing is the torque next to it was what 100 and i just the torque is 148 that's a lot that's some tire i mean that's it's got that's some uh high-end 1,000 cc yeah. sport bike power numbers almost. And not only does it have Brembo's, like the Zeros, I don't remember. They had, like, Zero and Harley. You know what else I wonder, like too? Proprietary Like, stuff. a 1,000 cc sport bike is something like 160 horse, maybe 170. It's a lot, right? Yeah. That's probably, well, the, the that's S- probably the- measured at the crank, and you're only, you're going to lose something like almost 20% at the wheel. Yeah. Where with an electric one that says 145. Oh, you know, that's it. You're yeah. only going to lose a little bit through the chain. <laughs> yeah. Or the belt. Yeah. Well, I think they're, the, they're probably they're, chain. Yeah, they should be belt. Yeah. Belts will hold the power. Uh, yeah. I mean, the S1000RR is two, 200, 198. That's and right. the Ninja H2R, which is a 999, is also like 200 even or something like yeah, that. Yeah. So, the I mean, the new V4 um, Ducati yeah, is a little Yeah. The new, new thousands are making 200 now. So to yeah, get but I, this. Th- you're going to you're gonna lose so i bet they're like 170 or so at the wheel yeah yeah yeah. so this thing also has four uh rain modes and it has level one two three and four charging and it has an app with integrated integrated gps and bluetooth management so you can like check on your bike and it didn't say any it's an app so you buy it you don't have to subscribe to it or whatever that is i bet they include the price in the twenty thousand dollar bike yeah and it's twenty two six nine five so it's still a good you know seven thousand dollars less than the uh and the looks, live wire and it's zero to 60 time 
I think in there it says 2.7, where that's a full, almost a full second faster than the live wire. So yeah. it'd be fun to drag race those. But looking at those two, the live wire, they all kind of sound the same. I mean, I know the live wire says they bevel cut it, so it sounds different. But when you take all that into account, they all kind of just sound like drills on uh, yeah. high speed. <laughs> And uh, if you go to YouTube and check out Hollywood Electric's race bike at Willow Springs, it sounds, I mean, they have a sound, but the, the one sound that, that you're for sure to hear is this one. <laughs> because they're so fun to ride and you can actually hear yourself laughing the, the craziest thing I wish they would have let us test ride two of them we could have rode like chips did a whole uh, <laughs> podcast on it you know I, yeah that would be cool to do something yeah. a little more in depth because you can actually really talk like to, to people do it while you ride but they're listen man NorCal right or, I'm gonna hook yeah. it up yeah they're up in San Francisco area yeah, but I mean the electric bike's fun it is definitely a fun motorcycle to ride yeah you know that I mean for me, it doesn't get better than, I don't know, than just something that's kind of thumping around. But at the same time, like the maintenance, I, I hate hearing weird phantom noises. Like, fuck, what is wrong now? What, what broke? <laughs> what's going on? Where's it doing this? Where, what's happening? And I, I talked to someone at Zero, and they said it would take a heck of a lot to, like, total, like, well, you could total it from, like, breaking forks and stuff and bending wheels. But to actually damage the motor and battery, it would take a yeah. lot. So, uh, and you can also ride them underwater until it gets into the battery. I think mm-hmm. into the. Uh, actually, I don't know. Maybe you can just ride them underwater. Phil from Cleveland Moto said he rode his underwater. Uh, you can't do that with the uh, internal combustion engine. Yeah. <laughs> um, hey, it's time to get out of here, man. We made yeah. it through a whole show. Do you got anything coming up that you want to you want to blab about? I'm going to the one show, at least to the race, and then I'm um, going across to Flat Out Friday. Nice. And doing that race, and then I will actually set up. I think I'm just going to set up on Saturday at Mama Tribe with probably with Vanilla Cycles. Um, so if someone needs a new Knaf and they're in Milwaukee. I will be there. I think uh, Sing Simon and Gulmeyer are going to come to the race. I don't know if they're going to come to the show. So that's kind of cool. Um, I don't think I know what they look like, really. <laughs> look for the two most we, handsome yeah, we men from talk about it. Oh, there's going to be a lot of handsome men at that thing. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's about it, though, really, right now. Right. Super fun. And I think uh, the, at the one show... There's going to be a show called the Number Two Show outside the One Show, where you don't have to be a hipster to go. February 29th at the uh, the Flying Fifteen Clubhouse in Portland, Oregon. If I ate the right foods, I could win a Number Two Show, dude. Hey, why don't you go and see if you can win first place? I just take You're, a big dump in the middle and be like, "That's the best Number Two. Yeah, you know, my my friend uh, who uh, has a Fifty Nine Custom Cafe told me you're number one at going number two, and I said, "Thank you very much." <laughs> Um, also, I think, I don't think there's a whole heck of a lot. I mean, that's going to be going on. Um, February 24th, there's a vintage motorcycle swap meet put on by the Cretans. It's going to be on Huntington Drive. Um, the War of the Twins is coming up in St. Paul, March 22nd. Um, there's going to be a thing called a Mini Massive that uh, we're going to be doing some judging on. That's going to be at Industry Expo Center. We'll tell you a little bit more of that because it's happening in March. So we still got like another month and a little bit before that happens. Um, but yeah, I can't think of anything happening really besides Mama Tried, Flat Out Friday, and Daytona TT is coming up. It is? The beginning of the season is going to be kicking off in March. Yeah. So Flat Track's going to be kicking back in. Uh, other than that, man, it's been a great week. Get out there and ride. We got some stuff we're going to be 
Well, I'm going to be working on here in the garage. I know Wiggins and his new uh, his new pipes is going to be blowing out eardrums all over, getting thousand dollar tickets here and there. But uh, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. And other than that, do you have any awesome, significant, meaningful, or inspirational sign offs for people this week? I don't, I don't think so.